get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. The 3-1 on the way, and a curveball drill down the left field line. It is gone. A hanging curveball on a 3-1 pitch, and Randy Arozarena has done it again. A line drive, two-run homer, and the Rays have tied the game. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. By the way, that was the play-by-play that you heard right here last night as Randy Rosarena did Randy Rosarena things. He was awesome. He hit homer. We'll look at the outfield here in just a moment. However... We got a text from the 314 right before we got on the air. Jamie, guys, have you seen Colton Wong's Instagram? It seems like he's saying that he's leaving. No good, sir. I had not. And so thank you for texting in. Or madam. Or madam. So I go over to Colton Wong's Instagram. It says, thank you, hashtag Cardinal Nation. And just a picture of him standing at second base. So, Jamie, here's here's what it looks like. It just says, thank you, Cardinal Nation. He looks lonely, too. It's because nobody's hitting him I, into third base. It's just the first thing that pops up. Do we have a sounder for reckless speculation, or do we just want to – can I just put it out there? Hey, what this would, is all from here, reckless speculation. Anything, what, what would be a sounder for reckless? Qualify, I think, at this okay. point. Okay, hold on. Let me anything see if I can find like something. shocking, maybe. Um, no. Okay. No. I don't think that works. No. Okay. We'll just move forward. No. That's just the disclaimer from here. Wow. From None note of to this self, is let's not task Alex with that in the future. No, no that's, that's BKO. not it either. No. No. All right. Let's move. No. 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 Okay. Yeah, we'll we're out, guys. We'll just move forward here. All of this from here on out is reckless speculation. None of it is reporting. I want to put that on the front end. Is Colton Long gone? Do we think this is the end of Colton Long? Because he does have a $12.5 million team option we have talked about that I was always under the impression that Colton Wong was going to be somebody they either extend or at least bring back on that 12 and a half million dollar deal I wonder if this is something where maybe the Cardinals are looking at it in a very frugal way of saying to themselves how do we slash salary without really downgrading our roster in a significant way and they say 12 and a half million, just too much for what we're getting from Colton Wong. We can put Tommy Edmond at second. We look for an upgrade at third and we we improve our roster that way. How are you getting an upgrade at third, though? Because you I, got that 18 and a half million on Carpenter. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's a great question. It's a good riddle is what it is. Um, but yeah, looking at that that post and the way it's written, it. It certainly suggests that maybe he's not going to be coming back to Cardinal Nation. That's what it would suggest to me. Now, I've been hitting the head an awful lot, so maybe I'm really wrong. I'm not sure, but that's what it would suggest to me. Well, and especially because, like, you know, you're so beyond the end of the season, right? Like, that's not an end of the season post saying thank you, Cardinals Nation. That's a random in the middle of the World Series or the Championship Series saying thank you, Cardinals Nation. So Yeah, it's like on a random Thursday what time morning. What was it posted at? It was at 1020 <laughs> oh, this morning. 45 minutes oh, ago. Oh, the old okay. Fernario, maybe. 
make sure it's the See, right date, yeah. huh? Well, not just that, but the old Frenario, a couple of bottles deep, and I'm going <laughs> to yeah. throw something on Instagram. This was actually from his extension like five years or ago. Post <laughs> when he first was called up to Cardinals Nation. Yes. Yeah, the old Frenario, huh? Uh, just making sure, Alex. I understand. So, if they do, again, we're, we're getting so far down this path. If they were, uh, no, wrong one. Uh, oh, if right. they were to go down this path, guys, and they decide, you know what, we're going to move on from Colton Wong. I just, I don't know how you improve from that if the thinking behind it is we need to get cheaper. Because if the thinking is, hey, we think that we can upgrade our lineup most if we decide to move on from Colton Wong, we put Tommy Edmond at second, and we get a big bat at third or in the outfield or at DH. Okay, I can at least listen to that, right? If the thinking, though, is we have to get rid of Colton Wong because we need to get cheaper, we can't afford this payroll for next year because of what we just went through with the pandemic, well, then I don't know how you get better because now you're getting rid of a big piece of what is the identity of the team, which is, of course, the defense. And Colton Wong is one of the best defensive second basemen in all of baseball and was your leadoff hitter. I just I, I don't know how you improve that way. I think you can move the pieces around a little bit. Sure. But you, you certainly don't get better that way, Jamie. Yeah, look, I don't really know. I mean, I guess this will play out in the next little bit, but speculation, uh, for what I think of is that they're dumping salary. I think that they're finding ways to possibly bring back players or go get a player or just maintain where they're at. But the only way they can shed salary is by not re-upping Colton Wong at the 12 million, 12 and a half, cost them, what, a million dollars not to mm-hmm. re-up him. And they save 11.5 after that. That's probably a pretty good business deal for them. Uh, where else are they going to shave? I don't know. How bad are the losses from this season? How bad are the losses projected to be for next season as a business? I think that this is going to be a trend. We talked about it at nauseum for every team, Major League Baseball, who would be just selling pieces off or just dropping players that are really good. This is the one locally now we've recognized that speculation is that maybe Colton Wong won't be back. If that's the case, what else is going to fall from the trees around Major League Baseball? It's going to have to be a lot of moving around pieces, and this could be something connected to something else. You know, maybe you are able to find a deal of somebody who's trying to offset some salary as well, and it's a player that might upgrade you in an area, and you got to cut salary where you can. But, I mean, let's be honest. Let's look at the big picture here. The first things first is you got to bring back Yachty and Wayno, and yep. those guys are going to call cost money and more than likely they're going to cost what Colton Wong is making if not more and who's more important to your roster defensively I think Colton Wong is but moving forward I believe Yachty and Wayno are a lot more impactful for this roster than a Colton Wong would be with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario I'm Brandon Kylie. all right so that is the reckless speculation for today let's get into the outfield situation because once again last night I'm watching the Tampa Bay Rays and who else Randy Rosarena uh, hits another home run. And so I thought to myself, you know what? Let's let's look into this. How does the Cardinals current outfield, and I kind of knew how this was going to go, compare <laughs> with the teams that are currently playing remaining in the postseason? So I looked into it and I was like, all right, let's let's compare as a whole what these outfields did this year compared to the Cardinals. And if you look at weighted runs created plus, which again is that metric that I like where it uh, adjust for ballpark factors and all of those different things, the pitching you're going up against. 
it's on a scale of 100, where 100 is average and anything below that is that percentage lower than average. Anything above that is that percentage above average. So the Braves this year had the third best outfield in baseball. They had a 128 WRC plus, which means 28% above average. The Astros were fifth in baseball with a 120 WRC plus. The Astros were seventh in baseball, 115. Dodgers were you fifth. The Dodgers Astros there. were seventh. Dodgers were fifth. Astros were you seventh. You were just so excited. I understand. Okay. The Rays hot right now. were Whoa. 19th in Unroll. baseball in WRC+. Plus. 19th. That is the one that most closely re- resembles the Cardinals, who were 25th this year at 82 WRC+. Plus. 18% below league average is the production that the Cardinals got this year from their outfield. The takeaway that I would have from this, either the Cardinals need a massive improvement in the outfield, which they do, or the the formula that they're trying to follow is the Tampa Bay Rays. That's the team that they should be looking at right now and saying, what are we missing that they have? How did they get to where they are today? And how do we get there? What are we missing that they have? And boys, I've got the answer to your question. I came today prepared, and I have the answer. <laughs> oh, don't, boy. Don't say George Springer. Huh. Nope. The Cardinals need Randy Rosarena. That is what is carrying the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this three years ago? <laughs> what? What just happened? Did you bump your head this is morning? Is this three years ago? That's what they're missing. The Rays are being carried by one player right now. It uh, just so happens it's the player that the Cardinals oh, traded to them, no. unfortunately. This is like... This is like a bad movie where every time you like you think you're out of the maze, you go to open the last door and it brings you back to the beginning <laughs> of the maze. That's why I hate mazes. Gosh. So that's what they're missing. They are missing a transcendent player in the outfield, which is exactly what the Rays have right now in Randy Rosarena. Again, as we've talked about with Danny Mack, as we've heard on all of the shows throughout the station, who knows what this is going to be three, four, five years down the road. I have no idea what, Heck, who knows what, what it's going to be next year. Right. Randy Rosarena may turn into a pumpkin. I don't know. Maybe he's Brad Miller. It's the right time of year. But for right now, he is carrying them in a way that is really frustrating to watch if you are a Cardinals fan. It's carrying them in the playoffs, though. I mean, he, he was carrying them a little bit in the regular season. I mean, it was only 23 games, right? Like 64 at-bats, I think mm-hmm. he had. Look, the guy hit 281. I'll put that on my team right now at the top of my batting order. But he wasn't the, the, the sole responsibility on offense of the regular season. He's doing it in the playoffs, which, look, we see that every year. You see somebody take that jump but the Tampa Bay Rays made the postseason because they had a group of guys that did that that carried the team and look 98 WRC plus compared to 86 WRC plus that may not seem like a lot but it is an awful lot when you look at the players and the responsibility that they had in the regular season yeah the funny thing is if you look at the Cardinals the guy that was the best hitter this year overall in the outfield you guys know who it was had to be Harrison Bader it was Harrison Bader come on (laughs) he was 13 percent above league average that's not a good thing by the way I mean, it's okay, but it's not good. Better than Dex? Better than Dex. Dex, because remember, he He's, struggled once he came yeah. back from that well, illness. He missed like, what, 20-something yeah, games? I feel like Bader struggled for almost the entire season. <laughs> I, not I as much as O'Neal and Thomas did. Oh, my God. Thomas was at 25. Oh. 25 WRC plus for Oof. Lane Thomas. It's over. It's over for is our guy, good? Lane. Is that good? It's it's very much very bad. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys... I about threw my phone at the wall this morning when I opened it up and saw an article comparing Randy Rosarena to Ken Griffey Jr. 
Not, not <laughs> I as, would too. Not as pretty of a swing. But. It's 11-12, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We are going to be joined by Joey Vitale coming up at 1230. We'll get into the no movement clause situation with Alex Petrangelo coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But coming up next, Alex Petrangelo's new head coach, Pete DeBoer. What does he see in Petro? What does he think he can bring to the Vegas Golden Knights? We're going to talk to Pete DeBoer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. He is Pete DeBoer joining us here on 101 ESPN. Pete, we always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. So from what I understand, Pete, and we're going to get into your new defenseman and how excited I would imagine you have to be about having Alex Petrangelo into the mix here in a minute. But I got to ask you about a, a former defenseman, because from <laughs> oh, what Jesus. I understand, you once coached against a young Jamie Rivers down in the juniors. Can you tell me about what that experience was like trying to defend what I would imagine was just an absolute <laughs> star defenseman on the other side? Okay, well, he was he was the Victor Hedman of the OHL at that uh, my first year coaching in uh, in junior hockey. I was uh, Paul Maurice and I were coaching the Detroit Junior Red Wings, and uh, Jamie was playing in Sudbury with Ethan Morrow. I think Jason Bonsignor. I can't remember who else was on that team. I remember Glenn Murkowski was coaching, uh, but uh, Jamie was the, the premier defenseman in the league, and. Uh, we went in with a, a, an underrated Detroit team and upset them. The one thing I do remember about that, uh, where, where Jamie played junior hockey in Sudbury, Ontario, talk about a hockey town. Hockey and, and I think a, a mining town where, where they live for the Sudbury Wolves. And I remember pulling up for a playoff game and people were literally lined up around the rink outside for tickets for a, a playoff game against us uh, one night. So we had a great battle and... Uh, we ended up coming out on top, but Jamie went on to a great career. Yeah, Pete, I remember that series, and I still go into tears every now and then <laughs> thinking about it. Um, but no, you're right. Sudbury was an amazing town. It was a mining town. You're correct about that. And on a Sudbury Saturday night, right, it was go have a few beers, go watch the hockey game, and then go to the bar after. So uh, good yeah. stuff. Uh, Pete, look at yeah, talking about another really good defenseman, actually a truly good defenseman, <laughs> Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, you know, you're sitting back as a head coach, and you guys are evaluating things in in Vegas and looking at your roster. At what point did you guys internally, you know, kind of decide that hey, you know what, we're really going to make a push here because this is a need we have? Well, I, I think you know I, I had pretty intimate knowledge of how good Petro uh, is. Uh, my five years in San Jose, I think we played St. Louis twice in the playoffs. Once we beat them in the conference final, Hitch was coaching on our way to the, the Stanley Cup final against Pittsburgh, and and then they beat us uh, two years ago on, on their way to the Stanley Cup championship against Boston. So, you know, when, when you see a guy like that firsthand through, you know, six and seven game series, uh, you know, when the rubber really hits the road, you, you really get an appreciation for – for how good a player is. So, you know, I, I always had that. I think, uh, uh, I think, uh, our general manager and, and, and George McPhee, our president, uh, Kelly McCrimmon, um, 
you know, also realize that being good hockey men. And, and, and when you watch, you know, Tampa win the Stanley Cup this year with, with Victor Hedman, the importance of a number one defenseman uh, with Petro last year, uh, with St. Louis, you know, going back to Drew Doughty with L.A. Um, it, it's hard to win and, and, and take that final step unless you have a true number one. And, there, and there's only a few of those guys uh, in the world. And so I think, uh, you know, our group saw an opportunity uh, that rarely comes along to go out and be able to get a guy like that and and uh, found a way to make it work. There was a lot of a lot of cap juggling and you know a lot of good people left our organization in order to make it work. But uh, those opportunities don't come along very often. Yeah, Pete. Usually a guy like Alex at this point in his career, he wants to keep trending upward, right? He's looking for a team that's contending, would like to continue to win throughout the latter part of his career, and then free agency comes. And lo and behold, the Vegas Golden Knights, who traditionally, as you know, probably not a hockey market, a great market, but not a hockey market. But I have heard so many things that are opposite of that, of how amazing the fan base is out there. And and you're kind of somewhat new to it this season. For you, as you look through that and you look at your fan base, what was the selling point that you guys had for Alex Petrangelo to reassure him that, hey, this is a hockey town and we're going for it and we intend to win now? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, you wouldn't expect that out of a, an expansion team from, from three years ago, but I think uh, the group uh, in Vegas, the fans in Vegas, the ownership in Vegas, you know, have shown they're, they're not an expansion team. Uh, one Stanley Cup final, one conference final in their first three years and and trending the right way, you know, go and sign Mark Stone and trade for Max Pacioretty. Uh, Shea Theodore's coming into his own trade for Robin Leonard. Um, you know, the messaging to the fans, to, to anyone working the, in the organization is, you know, we feel we're ready to win now. We're in that window and, and we're going to be for the next, hopefully, you know, five plus years. So, uh, you know, I, on the outside looking in, it's an attractive place. I, I can tell you from coaching against Vegas and San Jose as recently as December of last year, uh, you know, you admired how they played, but just as importantly, you admired going into to that rink and the, the passionate fan base and the home ice advantage there. And then, and then you, you know, you talk to some of the players that have lived in the community for three years and, and then, you know, with me moving in there and realizing where the guys live and, and how special a place it is, uh, it really sells itself. We're talking with Vegas Golden Knights coach Pete DeBoer here on 101 ESPN. Pete, you mentioned it's really hard to win unless you have a world in the world. Uh, what is it about having that guy that makes your job easier? Or what, what is it about not having that guy that makes it so difficult to win in the NHL nowadays? Well, you know, I, I, I think at number one, I just look at uh, Hedman this year in, in the Stanley Cup final. He's on the ice for 24 minutes a night. Uh, whoever you're pairing him with, you know, if you're pairing him with a guy who would be a four on another team, all of a sudden he's a two on your team because uh, a number one guy does that uh, for you. So it's the people around him that that guys like that make better as much as just what they are um, and and what it affords you. So, um, you know, we, we think Petro is one of those guys. And like I said, there's very few of them and, 
uh, you know. leadership group that's in place, which I think you guys have done a fantastic job of getting really good leaders, you know, with the Stones and the Pacioretties and so on, work your way down the lineup. Now you've added an Alex Petrangelo, who's been a captain on a Stanley Cup championship team. How important is adding that element to your current leadership group? Critical. And, and I can tell you, George McPhee and, and Kelly McCrimmon uh, put a real premium on character. And uh, anybody we brought in uh, in the time I've been here and, and in the previous uh, uh, regime, to me, uh, there's been a premium on that. And, uh, you know, Mark Stone's a perfect example of that. You know, easily could be a captain and, and will be a captain in the league. Max Pacioretty's been a captain in Montreal. Petro, captain of the, of the Stanley Cup champion in, in St. Louis. You know, Paul Stasny, a, a, an example of a guy who's worn a letter almost everywhere he's gone, you know, including in St. Louis there. So, um, you know, there's a real premium on that. And, um, you know, it's nice from a coaching perspective when you know the people you're bringing in have that character because it just makes our our job so much easier. Talking to Vegas Golden Knights coach Pete DeBoer here on 101 ESPN. Pete, I wanted to ask you about the trends right now in the NHL because we've we've heard so much in recent years about the league getting faster and playing at a faster pace than it once did. And your team certainly played a little heavier game uh, when we saw you return into the bubble. Where do you think the league is now? What is, what is fascinating for you as a coach as you look around at some of the trends that are taking place right now in the NHL? Yeah, great question. I, there's no doubt the game is faster and, and everyone's playing faster. Um, but for me, uh, you can't win come playoff time without a heaviness and a hardness to your game. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be six foot four, 220 pounds. You know, there's only so many guys like that that can play at, at, at the type of speed you need. Um, but, you know, if Sidney Crosby has a heaviness, a hardness to his game, you know, at his size, just in his willingness to go to dirty areas and win battles and, and win pucks and hang on to pucks. So, um, you know, I, I think that's what everybody's looking for. And, and uh, you know, the reality of the NHL is it's such a physical sport and, and the game changes come playoff time. Uh, you know, the regular season and, and the NHL playoffs are, are a different animal. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. And, and you almost have to be built uh, to be able to get through the regular season and play that style of game in order to give yourself a chance to win in the playoffs and then have that heaviness and hardness within your group in order to have success come playoff time. And I think Tampa is a perfect example of a team that, that added the type of pieces to be able to do both where a couple of years ago, they, they were only getting through the regular season with success. All right, Pete, last question I've got for you. You've got a good decor, great decor. Now that you've added Alex Petrangelo, you got a young man by the name of Shea Theodore. And this guy, I love the way he plays. He gets up ice, he gets around, he moves really well. I'm anxious to see how having an Alex Petrangelo can impact a Shea Theodore moving forward. Have you looked at some of your young defense and what they'll profit from having a guy like Petro around? Well, you know, I, I think it's going to be fantastic, uh, him just being around uh, Petro every day. I, I know when we brought in Alec Martinez from L.A. this year, 
Shea really took a step just watching him every day, how he prepares, multiple Stanley Cup winner, good pro, you know, gets what it what it what you have to do in the playoffs in order to win. Um, and then now adding Petro to that mix, uh, I think all our defensemen are going to benefit. But but in Theo's case particularly, watching those guys, but but also you know, not everyone being able to just concentrate on him. I, I think I think it's going to free him up a little bit, having Petro there, uh, you know, to protect him a little bit from you know the tough minutes and the tough attention that that number one defenseman always gets. Pete, we are going to certainly miss watching Alex Petrangelo every night here in St. Louis, but I know you're going to have a hell of a lot of fun being able to coach him out there in Las Vegas. All the best to you and your family. Best of luck next year whenever you're not playing the Blues, my friend. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Pete DeBoer, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jamie, you have said something for months. Ever since I first met you, Uh you said, BK... I've got some wisdom to share with you. <laughs> Said uh, it's really hard to win in the NHL without a number one NHL defenseman, and there's only so many of those players in the world. And Pete DeBoer just uh, just seconded that exact sentiment, and so I wasn't totally sure I believed you, <laughs> but after hearing it from Pete DeBoer, I think I do. All of a sudden, Jamie. Yeah, he referenced several times Victor Hedman. In, in this discussion, and if you look at the Stanley Cup finals, it, Victor Hedman was the rock star. All the hard minutes, penalty kill, power play, regular shift, number one assignment against the other team. You have to have it. You have to have that number one guy. And like Pete said, you put a number four or number five guy with a number one guy, it automatically elevates them in their game because it makes it easier for them. The Blues no longer have that guy. Alex Petrangelo just walked out the door. Can they develop one? Do they have anybody on the roster that can be that guy? I want to ask that question to Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll do that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I just looked at uh, Hedman this year in, in the Stanley Cup final. He's on the ice for 24 minutes a night. You know, if you're pairing him with a guy who would be a four on another team, all of a sudden he's a two on your team because a number one guy does that uh, for you. You know, we, we think Petro is one of those guys. And like I said, there's very few of them. And, uh, you know, we're excited to, to have them. That was Vegas Golden Knights head coach Pete DeBoer, who joined us just moments ago here on 101 ESPN. If you missed it, check it out, 101ESPN.com after the show. Jamie was talking about number one NHL defensemen, not just quality defensemen who are your number one on a team, but true number one defensemen. It's it's kind of like in baseball where you've got the number one starter that every team has, and then you've got the defin- definitive ace, right? And there's probably in any given year like maybe 8 to 12 aces across baseball. It's same thing for the NHL with number one defensemen. There's a limited quantity of them around the league. Of course, Alex Petrangelo is one of them. Now the question is, as you just heard from Pete DeBoer, it's really hard to win without that guy. Do the Blues have one now? Can, and let's be honest, there is one name that's going to come up in this conversation, Colton Pareko become that guy. Can he develop into at least some of what Alex Petrangelo was here in St. Louis? Jamie, do you think he's there now? And what does he still need to develop to become that guy, the true number one defenseman? Yeah, he's not there yet. Um, 
Now, the good thing about it, though, is he possesses all, all the skills necessary to be a number one. And he's got something that you can't teach, which is size. He's a big man out there. You look at uh, Victor Hedman, who Coach Pete DeBoer referenced several times. Obviously, he's kind of the model that you'd like to have. Is that six foot four, smooth skating defenseman? Well, guess what? Colton Pareko is like six six, smooth skating defenseman. He's got a rocket launcher for a shot. He's very good defensively. Got a great stick out there. He's not as physical as he probably could be. Uh, or should be, for that matter. And some of the play recognition um, on the offensive side of it is still to be developed. But that doesn't mean he's not able to be a number one. It just means that right now, he's never been a number one. So this year, when the when the baton gets handed off to Colton Pareko, and he's playing that 24 to 26 minutes a night, sometimes it'll be even closer to 30, we're going to see the evolution. We're going to see if he's able to add that element to his game. Because Colton Pareko, defensively, I have no worries. His speed, size, shot, all that stuff. Sometimes that, that that offensive hockey IQ, it takes time to develop of knowing when to go, where to go, how to do it, be a part of the rush, not be a part of the rush. And I think that's a part of his game that's continuing to evolve. But I do think he has the potential of getting there. And I will say, you know, it was nice to see at least a little more aggressiveness from Colton in the postseason last year. And then this season, he started to get a little bit more nastier with his game, which is a good thing to see from a big player like this. The part that I hesitate with that is I I don't know if he's ever going to be the point producer that Petrangelo was. But I think that's okay, right? Like, that's why you have Falk and Krug to be those point producers. I think Colton Pareko can be the defenseman that Alex Petrangelo is. There's still some work to be done but the part that people need to remember is this is only his fifth year in the league and I truly believe in Rivs you would know better than I would on this Petro broke out to be that elite defenseman that fifth and sixth year the year prior to winning the Stanley Cup was when you started to see the explosiveness of Alex Petrangelo as a number one defenseman so I wonder if Colton Pareko is hitting that stride now again I still think there's work to be done but from what we've seen of Colton Pareko in five years, I mean, he's skyrocketed from being a rookie that nobody knew anything about in Alaska all the way up to being a top 15 defenseman in the NHL, according to experts this last season. Yeah, he's developed tremendously. And you're right. It takes longer for defensemen, especially if you're going to be that number one defenseman. And yeah, P- Petro, it took him a while to get to that point. And you continue to evolve and you get smarter. And that's the part of the game that people don't talk about a lot with aging defensemen is how well they recognize the play offensively and defensively their guys the opposition's players you start to see the game differently as you get into the latter years of your career or the the second half and Petro's there right now and last year arguably his best regular season that he's ever had is the St. Louis Blue arguably I'd put it up against any other season he's had He's 30 years old, 29 turned 30. Mm-hmm. So Colin Pareko is what, 26, 27? Yeah, yeah I think. he's going to be 27 so next year. be 27. So he's got some runway ahead of him here to develop, but the work has to go into it. One thing about Alex Petrangelo that I don't know is being discussed enough is his attention to detail and his relentless work ethic. Video, training, on-ice skills, you name it. This guy was all in. The next step for Colton Pareko is developing into that Ryan O'Reilly, into that Alex Petrangelo, and becoming you know one with the game, meaning that he's just living, eating, breathing hockey while he's at the rink and working on his game. I, you mentioned this, Alex, where Pareko's probably never going to be the points producer that Alex Petrangelo was. And if you just look at the stat line, like it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty decreased. clear. Like that's, that's probably not going to be his game necessarily, but... 
can you maybe and I wonder if this is what was in the back of Doug Armstrong's mind as he made the move. Can you get basically what Alex Petrangelo brought to the team by a combination of Pareko and bringing in a new defenseman the way that they did? Can you do that? Can, can it be two guys that replace the production that you got from Alex Petrangelo? Because I don't think any one guy can do it. Tori Krug and Colton Pareko maybe combined can do, do some yeah, of that. Yeah, they can. You'd certainly like it to be in one player. That's always <laughs> a big advantage. But no, you're right. Um, if you pair the guys up properly and you have two guys that complement each other very well, then yeah, you can to get from A to B doesn't necessarily mean you have to direct line, right? We've talked about that a before. A plus C equals B in this case. Whoa. Okay, you lost no. me, so go I'm going to go back to hockey. Um, but yeah, so yeah, those two guys paired together can bring offense, defense, the size, the speed, all that stuff together. But I really think that the best years are ahead for Colton Pareko. Mm-hmm. He's got all of the physical attributes. The only part of his game that needs to evolve is the hockey IQ. And make sure you understand me here. He's a really smart hockey player. But to be that number one defenseman, you have to be thinking that play ahead all the time. And not just for you, but for your teammates and what the opposition is doing and what their next move is. It's literally a game of chess. And once you get to that spot with your hockey IQ, that's when you truly become a number one D. And how do you get there? You get there with experience and putting yourself into that position. And I think that's what they're getting with Colton Pareko. Look, this comparable is not going to resonate with some people because I do think there's a lot to grow for Colton Pareko. But look at what Larry Robinson was in the NHL. I mean, a Hockey Hall of Famer who he put up points, but he wasn't a he wasn't a Bobby Orr. He's not a he's not a Gordy Howe. He's not putting up all of these points. But make no mistake, the connection there, Colton Pareko worked an awful lot with Larry Robinson the year that they went to the Stanley Cup when Robinson was on the bench. And that, to me, was a breakout year for Colton Pareko. So I wouldn't be surprised to see more work between those two because now is the time to say, okay, Colton, you are our number one defenseman. Get ready to take on that responsibility. And I truly believe he can handle that responsibility. One thing too here, guys, he's going to learn through trial and error. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's just be honest here. When you're given the number one tag or whatever, or when Chief goes, hey, look, Colton, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And that's the only way it's going to improve, because if you make a guy to where he's tentative about playing, he's not going to be able to make steps forward. He has to learn what works, what doesn't work. He's going to have to put himself out there. He's going to have to overextend himself on a shift and find out that, well, I shouldn't do that. Or he's going to have to make a quick change at times for the better matchup for the team. All of that stuff is going to come by him playing more and the confidence of the coaching staff saying, yep, go. The door's open. Every time you're ready, you're out there because we need you to evolve into that next level. One question that I would have for you, Jamie, as we kind of wrap a bow on this. Um, if you look at the goal scoring production, it, it's been there the last couple of years for Colton Pareko. Ten goals each of the last two seasons. And last year he did that in 64 games, which is an impressive season for any defenseman across the league. The assists, though, have gone down. He was at 31 in his second year in the league, 29 in year three. And then it went down to 18 assists each of the last two years. Is that a role change for him where he wasn't he wasn't possessing the puck as often and he was becoming the, the sniper more so? Or what do you think changed there? And the, is that something that can develop as he goes along? Because Petro was kind of always in that 30 to 40 assists range throughout his entire career here in St. Louis. And Petro's has been a staple on the power play, yeah. too. Sure. Okay, Pareko has not. And that's where a lot He's of assists come. That's where a lot of assists come for defensemen is on the power play. And you move the puck around, you move it over to Tarasenko to O'Reilly. But for me, the key to success for Colton Pareko to improve the goals and improve the assists 
every time that puck comes to him on the power play, like that power play should be set up to where it comes to him and he shoots it. Mm-hmm. He's got a rocket launcher for a shot. And it, when that happens, the puck explodes. It either goes in the net, it hits the goal, it goes off to D-man's leg, and offense, it, it makes offense out of that play. That's how you get a lot of assists. And then people will start to you know, adjust to that. Then he can move the puck. But power play time is a huge, huge, huge producer of assists for defensemen because they're usually one of the guys who start the play but don't necessarily finish it. And if Pareko can start finding the back, and I remember talking to him last year where I asked him, like, hey, are they starting to allow you to take that slap shot more often? And he said, it's always been there, but now I just feel like I have more of an opportunity to get that shot off at times. But if you start having success on that slap shot, even if you're not scoring goals, you start banging people up, then the respect comes on that power play, like Alex Ovechkin, where you respect that slap shot no matter what, that one-timer, and it opens up the door for other opportunities on the power play. What he's going to have to do ultimately is he's going to have to try and shape some of his offensive game on the power play like a Brent Burns. Yeah. To where it doesn't always have to be the big hammer time slap shot, but sometimes a little fake, move two feet to the left and fire a wrist shot, mm-hmm. which he's got a really hard wrist shot. If you look at Brent Burns, that's how he produces a lot of points as a defenseman. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line for questions and answers as we're in this studio right now. I'm looking at Sports Center and Luke Voigt, Voigt rather, is on the television. So Luke Voigt is a star are on Sports Center. Randy Orosarena is hitting a lot of homers. I don't remember Luke Voigt. Marcelo Zuna is starring for the Braves. Hey. And we'll get your questions and we'll have some answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in questions and answers. Guys, from the 314, do you think the Cardinals are trying to tank? Seems like it with all the talent they traded away in the last few years. You would think they would have at least gotten some good draft picks. Uh, No, I don't think that they have been trying to tank. But, Jamie, would you like them to tank? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. if t- Well, yeah, I don't know. Not tank. I don't think he tanked. Listen, I've said before we blow up the lineup a little bit, but not with the purpose of tanking, but the purpose of kind of like refreshing it a little bit. And I just don't believe personally that Cardinal Nation is somewhere where you tank. I just think that people would go absolutely berserk, and including me. <laughs> I wouldn't want to talk about that stuff on the air. I'd be like, come on. We all know what's going on here. So, yeah, now, I'm not a big believer in, like, we're going to be so bad it's awful, but I am a bit of a believer in you can blow it up by getting rid of some of the pieces that are maybe part of the core that isn't producing for you. National League is not an easy league to tank in. I mean, think about it. you got a lot of teams that are bad in the National League that are always bad. So even if you're bad, like the Cardinals have been, where you're a little over 500, you're still at least close to the playoff like they've always been. Whereas in the American League, you got four or five teams that are awesome and then everyone else is just bad so they're at the bottom non-stop yeah 65780 is the air comfort service x line from the 314 guys questions and answers do you think that tampa bay would be able to pull off the trifecta get a stanley cup a world series and a super bowl all in the same year i know the super bowl wouldn't be until 2021 technically but it would still be the 2020 oh, season you just went technical on this one no that's what they that oh, I, I thought, you were, I thought you were correcting our texter i was about to come on the table here. at you don't you dare talk to them like that. Do you like think that, that Tampa Bay could get the trifecta, Jamie Rivers? Uh, no. I think that, well, obviously, they've already got one of them. So they got the Stanley Cup. They're really, really ridiculously close to getting the World Series. Uh, but that, that Super Bowl, I love Tom and, you know, Gronk and all the boys down in Tampa. But, yeah, that ain't happening. 
Yeah, I don't see that. Not for how good the talent is in the National Football League this year. I mean, Bucks are probably what tenth or less best out of all of these really? teams. Oh yeah, they could they could end up being higher. But at the end of the day, I don't think like if you look at some of the teams they have to compete with. How many teams in the NFC do you think right now are definitively better, like markedly better than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I would say there's two. I think that the the Packers right now are clearly better than the Absolutely. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Seahawks right now are clearly better than the Bucks. I'd say the Rams are too. Oh, I don't know about that. Seattle, I, I think they're probably they better. I would pick them in a game between the two. That offensive line for Tampa trying to stop Aaron Donald, who has been the best defensive lineman in but the I NFC. I wouldn't be stunned if they beat him. Like it, it wouldn't be a massive upset. I bet you if they played that game today, it would be like a three-point line going towards the Rams, which we see that every weekend, that yeah. there's teams that are underdogs by three points that that, lo- that lose. You know what, BK? You're right. The NFC is is not all that heavy in, in you know, opponents. Green, Green Bay, for sure, yeah. I think, are way ahead of them. I think that Seattle as well. I do think that... New Orleans is going to be problematic. I know nobody's real happy with Drew Brees and how that's rolling. I say they have an opportunity, but at the end of the day, like they have to play the Packers at some point, and that's where the that's where it ends. I just I think it's so wide open in the NFC right now, and the Packers and the Seahawks both defensively are not great. Seahawks more than the Packers, but the Seahawks defense stinks right now. It is awful. They have no secondary. They can't stop anybody. The Packers are probably the team that would give me the most pause because I think they're clearly the best team in the NFC. I wouldn't have any argument with you if you told me that they were the best team in the NFL right now. I I, I could listen to that wow. right now today. Hey man, after what the Chiefs he's showed already last turning week, on the Chiefs. Eh? After what they Look showed last week, they lose week, one game and BKs. That's it. He's done. He's wearing I, he's wearing green today too. I heard him say Pat Mahomes in the office earlier that Pat Mahomes sucks. He's got a Rogers player card in his bag right now on Six, his bicycle. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text slide for questions and answers. All right, guys, saw this yesterday. A little bit of news coming out of the TV world. Uh, Dexter, I don't know if you guys were fans of the show whenever it was on television, is coming back. It is officially coming back with at least the star of the show is going to be the same star. The star of the guy that played Dexter will once again be him. Dexter maybe had the worst finale of any television show I've ever seen. It was awful. He suddenly became a lumberjack. It was like, <laughs> well, it's appropriate. It was. He liked to hack things yeah, up. He liked to saw things in half. I've heard Lost. I never watched that show. It was awful at the very end. I'm sure there are some others Sopranos that were bad. pissed me off. Yes. Cheers. Cheers was bad. I wasn't alive when that finale went on. Some of our listeners were, though. <laughs> they get it. Are there shows like when you see a TV show that has a finale like that? Smash. That is just brutal. My grandparents, I think my grandparents watch that finale live. Yeah, yeah, they're listening. Game of Thrones. Also, from what I hear, very bad ending. Still have never seen that. Do you ever feel like, hey, I need to see more of this show? Because I loved the first four seasons of Dexter. I thought it was great. But then it stunk. I don't need any more. I can only see so many mass murders in one lifetime. <laughs> I thought you were going to say in one day. I'm like, what goes on in the river's house? He wasn't even working on a golf cart like he told us he was. Yeah, no. <laughs> Those tools weren't yeah. for the golf cart. <laughs> Electrocuting people in his garage. Golf cart's alive and well, though. We're motoring around in that thing last night. So I'd um, like to see, uh, I, I would have liked to see more of The Office when it was on. But it had a good ending. It had a good ending, but I think that was one of those shows that 
I mean, it, it, it gets funnier with current events when more things pop up. Like, yeah, imagine in the office with the 2020. How do you end a series properly? Think about it, right? Because if you have, like, a cheery ending, they're like, oh, but the end, it was so good, they should keep going. Or it's sad. Or it's, like, disappointing. Like, name a series that had a great ending where you're like, you know what? The That's office. great. I was about to say, friends. The office was okay. good. Friends? Friends. You think? Yeah. Eh. Friends was not a good show. Friends was a great show. You and Smallman no. have that take, and I don't know what the hell the is time. wrong with both of you. No wonder you're like, Ninja yeah. Turtles was part of his life. <laughs> Ninja that was Turtles. Awesome. <laughs> it was more like Hey Arnold, Clifford right? the Big <laughs> Red Dog. <laughs> Clifford the Big Red Dog. Guess what? He didn't exist, BK. You know, right. another one. How, what? what? I know. See, sorry, guys. Are you guys. kidding me? How, How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother ended it as best as you could end it. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. thought it was terrible. Oh, no, yeah. you ended That ended the best way you could end it. You guys are out to lunch. Well, go back to watch MASH. A Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, oh my God. God. Great ending. That Break, was good. Breaking Bad. Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad was yep. a perfect ending. And they, they did it the right way. They had a spinoff from yep. that. That ended up being a great show See, that's well. the way to do it, though. Absolutely. Yep. That's called good business. Schitt's Creek was good, too, the way they ended it. Yeah, well, I haven't seen the last oh, season good, yet, though. so yeah. you need to have a glass to shut the heck up, okay? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636 guys if your jobs were not in sports what would you be doing right now time killing mosquitoes oh no sorry um <laughs> like prison yeah wait, oh, what? No. Whoa, no no whoa. no 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 um, because you're killing people in your garage that's not true I'm a very docile be. person actually um what would i be doing if my job wasn't in sports I have no idea. Jamie would be working 75 jobs <laughs> scattered across the world uh, selling something to somebody. Jamie would be a scout in the NHL or well, an that, agent. Sports. sports. So, see, here's the thing that people don't realize about. I thought it was talking sports. About sports. a professional athlete is I've been doing this since I was four years old. Yeah. Everything in my life has been sports or hockey related. So right up to the point where I was still a player and I retire and then I start a hockey company. Why? Because it makes sense. Like you might as well try and stay in the field that you know. And now we talk sports every day. Now I'm a baseball expert. Like things just oh, happen. To expert. Me. <laughs> let's let's be easy here. Alex, we'll move on from there. What would you be doing if you were not in sports? Uh, killing bugs. I was already doing it. And Run I'm, BK. And I'm awesome at it. <laughs> Run BK. I guess I, I like to label nice. it as I like to. Is that a nose joke again? No, you said you're killing bugs. <laughs> Run, BK. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't even. I don't get it. You got a dry erase, but we'll take care of it in the I break. I don't get it. I like to tell people I save the world from bugs. I'm pretty good at it. Um, I'm not good at that. Be, Surprising to exactly nobody. You'd be nobody. changing flat tires, of course. <laughs> no, no. would be doing nothing with my hands. That oh. is for certain. Oh. Uh, I would be a teacher. I would, I would go back to school and get a teaching degree. Huh. Very admirable. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm serious. I have no discernible skills, so <laughs> I don't have to do something where, and this is not to suggest that teachers do not have skills, but all I've got are so, soft Uh-oh, skills. Here it comes. <laughs> Six, five, seven, eight, no, 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 no. I should have had this teed up when he said from, that. From the 636, if BK weren't in sports, eh, 
I'd listen more. That's not nice. That's not nice. And I want to clear up what I just said. Otherwise, I'm going to get in some trouble with some family members. Listen, uh, all I have are soft skills. Like, I can communicate Whoa. with people okay. Uh, some people would disagree mm. clearly on the text line. Mm. <laughs> um, but that's basically all I got. I, I can't fix things. You're um, a really hard worker, BK. I work really you hard. You are. You're a really hard worker, and that will translate into anything you do, son. It's not true. Uh, are the Cardinals changing? Young enough to be my kid. Are the Cardinals <laughs> chasing their own mistakes? At least one Cardinals expert, and I'm not talking about Jamie Rivers, think so. And we'll tell you who that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We'll get to whether or not the Cardinals are chasing their own mistakes here in just a moment. But you guys are funny, man. You guys are very funny. <laughs> We just asked, if you weren't in sports, what would you be doing right now? We have a few recommendations. And again, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. What would I be doing if I weren't in sports? I'm more than happy to hear from you guys what you think that I would be doing. Wrong answers only. From the 573, BK would be a Disney World tour guide. Uh, from... The 314. Man, BK just had his grinky moment from the 314 as well. BK teaching kids the entire empire would crumble within the next decade. <laughs> from the 618. Guys, please stay in radio. That's already bad enough. This is true. All well, of it. I, honestly, BK, like Joe Vitale told you what you should be. You should be in politics. Say what? Sometimes, BK, you remind me of Donald Trump. I could be president. That's, that's what I've always said. Oh, wait. Nope. Wrong one. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Wrong one. No, nope, Wrong one. Take two. All right. So I was listening to the best podcast in baseball. Derek Gould and Ben Fredrickson do a fantastic job with their podcast uh, for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And Derek Gould brought up what I thought was a really, really interesting point. He basically stated the case, Jamie, that the Cardinals, one of the issues that they're running into right now is that they're chasing their own mistakes. Now, I'm going to allow Derek Gould to explain it because he certainly does so better than I possibly could. Here's a clip from, again, the best podcast in baseball is where you find this. Derek Gould explaining how the Cardinals are chasing their own mistakes. Do you get the sense that the Cardinals chase after themselves? Randall Gritchick, and he has, you know, a guy that they tra they go and get because, um, you know, of his exit velocity, and they think there's more power there, and they think that they can untap it with play with uh, playing time, and now he's traded, and they go get Tyler O'Neill. But to get Tyler O'Neill, they trade a young lefty who goes on to be a part of the Mariners' rotation, Marco Gonzalez, who pitches very well, who the Cardinals, and he probably had some mutual fatigue with each other um, in their conversation about his injury. And a few years later, they go in and they trade an outfielder to get a lefty, which Gonzalez would have been. It just seems like they're chasing after themselves in some way. And I, I, I wish I had a better way to articulate it. They're like, okay, well, we missed on this guy. Well, let's go get a guy who's similar to this. So basically what he's saying there is Gritchick was the guy that they thought was going to be a power bat. Well, then they went and searched for that with Tyler O'Neill. And then uh, when Tyler O'Neill's not working out, or excuse me, the guy that they traded for Tyler O'Neill was Marco Gonzalez. And that's the lefty pitcher, right? And so then they end up trading the outfielder that was potentially going to replace Tyler O'Neill for that lefty. And he also brought up Delvin Perez, the shortstop that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Ferrario, that they drafted in the first round a couple years ago. And he basically said, was that maybe a response to the missing on Fernando Tatis Jr.? 
because Fernando Tatis Jr. was this long, lanky shortstop that the question was, could he, does he have the power potential? And, of course, he does have that power potential, yeah, as we, we figured found that out, out uh, for Stan with the Cardinals losing to the Padres. But it was the same thing with Delvin Perez. Long, rangy, really great athletic uh, shortstop. And they ended up uh, drafting him in the first round of the MLB draft. One of the issues that the Cardinals have right now is – It's like in fantasy football, make this quick comparison for you, Jamie. One of the mistakes that people run into is like last week, Brandon Cooks for the Houston Texans had this huge week, right? He was awesome. And so this week, people will pick him up on the waiver wire and put him into their starting lineup next week. What you're doing there is you're chasing the points that already took place. You're trying to get what was a past production and you're hoping that it projects for future production. Well, you can't do it that way. You're trying to buy low and sell high on things. Right now, what the Cardinals appear to be doing is buying high and selling low on all of their assets. And when you do it that way, this is how you end up. You end up with a roster that you're not really sure what to do with it. It's fine. It's solid. It's good. But you're not reaching that pinnacle. Like, imagine if this team, instead of trading Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill had Marco Gonzalez on the roster. Well, now you're not looking for another left-handed starter because you have him currently. And instead of Tyler O'Neill taking those at-bats, now you've got Randy Rosarena taking the at-bats in left field. You literally had the guys that you're looking for on the roster, and they traded both of them. And so that's kind of one of the things that I think Derek Gould's trying to get at there. It's a really good point that, frankly, I hadn't thought of, um, but it's something that they're they're clearly trying to do right now. Yeah, look, I agree. Um, I do think, though, there is a certain process involved. Uh, let's just bring up left-handed pitchers, for example. right? Who's the young kid they traded away? Marco Gonzalez. Marco Gonzalez. They traded him away, and now they're going looking for that left-handed pitcher again. It's a need that they had, but at the time, I bet they felt we were willing to get rid of or move on from a left-handed pitcher to acquire player X because we need this into our lineup So, yeah, it can appear like you're always trying to chase what you just lost, but that's usually because you're trying to replenish that area of your team. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, but they not necessarily chasing it, but making sure you have it in the cupboard. Yeah, but you wouldn't have to replace it if you kept it. I mean, you keep Marco Gonzalez and you don't trade for Tyler O'Neill. You're not chasing Matt Libator and you don't have to do that. You keep Randy or Rosarena, so you're not chasing after a Tyler O'Neill. I understand what you guys are saying 100%, and I'm not disagreeing. Trust me. What I'm saying, though, is when they get in there and you have your board, your your lineup for your major league team, your minor league roster, your prospects, all that, you literally rate them from one to the bottom on everyone. And what do you have a surplus of or what do you have a need of? If the Cardinals felt at that time they needed a power back because they traded one away, two guys before, it's a process. It's it's ever It's like a recycle bin. It happens all the time. So at that point, at that moment to them, I bet it made sense to – trade the lefty to acquire a guy. Everything's a crapshoot when it comes to prospects and draft picks and things like that. They don't all hit. I guess what I'm trying to say is if you don't ever move on from what you have to try and acquire something that you think you have, then how are you ever going to make a deal? Like, how do you ever really, truly improve? But if I'm not mistaken, you had Randall Gritchick when you made the trade for Tyler O'Neill. So so you had... I think it, it was right. I think it was like the was same it, time period yeah. when they were getting rid of Randall Gritchick and they brought in Tyler O'Neill. So right you're afterwards. basically going from one player to the other with the same. But there was a salary difference, it. right? 
salary no, difference. The time was I mean, basically the same. Because well, Rand- Randall Grichuk was, pretty cheap, was pretty cheap, yeah. All right. I, look, I'm just trying to dissect sure. it because usually there's reasons that people this, who are intelligent, which I'm sorry, you can not like Mo all you want or all his moves that he makes. He's an intelligent man. He's not doing stuff just absolutely. because he wakes up hungover and wants to make a trade. But this comes back to the evaluating talent that I've mentioned to you guys before. I mean, again, look at the Tampa Bay Rays example. They can evaluate other teams' talent and say, this guy's going to be something big. He's going to help our roster. Let's do it. And it pays off. The Cardinals, unfortunately, see a guy like Grichik, O'Neal, whoever you want to replace in there, Lane Thomas, and say, this guy's going to help our team. They don't pay off. There's an evaluation difference between two teams right now. And that's the part. I mean, look, Oscar Tavares was going to pay off, but that was in the international signing market. Um, Luis Robert paid off. They just didn't want to pay the money. Fernando Tatis, they didn't want to pay the money. He didn't want to sign here. They can evaluate in other areas, but through the draft and through other team systems, they have problems evaluating offense. Yeah, one thing that I think they're tr- they're missing right now is they're missing on their evaluation of power bats. And I don't know what it, what it is. If it's they don't trust the hit tool enough, I'm not sure what's going wrong, but it's certainly something that I would imagine within that within that building they are looking into right now why are we missing on these guys what is it that is going into we missed on Randall Gritchick like you can look at his numbers right now he's the same guy today that he was here he's just getting more at bats and so he's hitting more homers but the same guy that you were frustrated with when he was with the Cardinals he's that guy now in Toronto so what are you missing here what what is what is the skill set what is the talent evaluation that you're missing on with Grichik and then with Tyler O'Neill and when Marcelo Zuna came over he wasn't the guy that you thought he was going to be here where is the power where is that within this system because I was listening to Danny Mack today on his show and he's right the biggest difference between the Cardinals and the teams that are still remaining is the slugging percentage it's hitting the ball hard more often that's what the Cardinals don't do enough of and it's not just hitting the ball hard because that's not enough. Tyler O'Neill doesn't make contact enough for his hard hits to matter because there's too many whiffs. And when he does make contact, sometimes he's hitting it straight into the ground. So the launch angles off. There are too many issues there. What's missing? What, it, what are they missing with the talent evaluation of their power bats? That's something they have to figure out because it's the number one reason why they're not still playing today in the postseason. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Bet it or forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. is the air comfort service sex line for better to forget it from the 636 better to forget it guys if bk were a teacher he would teach wood shop uh, obviously we're all betting that no wait hold up i, I gotta mm. we got a wrong buzzer that he'd cut his hand off right he does like he does like working with wood that's what she said what also outdoors you kind of guy aren't you yeah, like trees. So. The lumberjack. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service sex line. Better to forget it, guys. Andy Dalton today is the best starting quarterback in the NFC East. Oh, the Red Rocket lives. No, he's not. Who is? If you uh, say Carson Wentz, I would jump over you know this what? board. Yes, he is. Yeah. Andy Dalton is the best quarterback say. in the NFC East. Because oh, your options right now are Alex Smith, 
If you go over to the New York Giants, you got Daniel Jones, Philadelphia Eagles, your favorite player, Carson Wentz. Oh, boy. And the final starter in the NFC East is Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton. Yeah. (laughs) He's the best. I mean, I bet it. Yeah, he is. I bet it, too. You have to. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, guys. Okay, don't no. Do you freaking it. say Carson Wentz. We are not this far out on Carson Wentz. Mm, Carson yes, Wentz are. is not you worse not watch the than games? Andy Dalton. I do. Do you okay. know how much time I spend every Sunday to get every game wrong in our pick Okay, he's terrible. <laughs> Watching these games. He's off right now. He's off his game. They're already Sorry. putting Jalen Hurston games every once in a while. He's got because Wentz is terrible. I mean, look the at the yips. numbers, boys. How can you ignore these? Oh, geez. I mean, it's just been remarkable so far this season he in 2020 has six touchdowns and nine interception interceptions and is averaging six yards per attempt i mean what more do you want from him Oof, solid <laughs> i'm forgetting That's my it. quarterback of the future i'm forgetting it and i have zero confidence in it six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service sex line for better to forget it guys better to forget it if Le'Veon bell signs with the kansas city chiefs he will look like his old self once again uh, mm. I'm going to forget it. I think if Le'Veon Bell signs with the Chiefs, they may have completed the cycle of trying to sabotage their own team. No. Yes. Why would you bring him in when your rookie is He's not a good person? He'll be a third down running back. He's a good player still. Yeah, and when he doesn't get the ball more, he'll yeah. complain and he'll bring guys down. There and- were never any issues that were originally started by Le'Veon Bell in New York. Frank Core was better than Le'Veon That's Bell. That's a good point. That is, that that is, is right? a good point. Incorrect. Look at he the had yards. More yards per carry. Frank Gore was better than Bell. Yeah, that's bad. And Bell was frustrated because Gore was outplaying him and he was yeah. 41 years no, old. He's 63. He's I think. a Hall of Famer. Incorrect on all counts. <laughs> Frank Gore so far this year has averaged 3.2 yards per carry. Le'Veon Bell's bad. at four. Hey, when you're third and one, that's important. Yeah, but Bell played one game. <laughs> Bell played two games. Oh, I'm sorry. He's averaging two yards a freaking game. He's that's not how that four works. Four yards per carry. He's had he's had 19 carries. Yeah, on the season. 19 carries. <laughs> that's oh. not great. He will not look like his old self, but he will look a hell of a lot better than he did in New York. You know why? Because everybody who leaves Adam Gase looks better when they leave Adam Gase. That guy is a joke of a head coach. You think he'd be able to see his talent better on his roster with those eyes? Oof, the crazy eyes that he's Oof. got going on. Did you see him in the press conference? Soul. Did you see him in the press conference for the bell? Oof. It's not great. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better or forget it from the 636. Are we going down this Frank Frank Gore rabbit hole again? (laughs) Really, guys? (laughs) BK, don't text into the show while you're hosting. Fair. Um, Better or forget it. I will get to what this is about here in just a moment. But Aaron Murray, former Georgia quarterback, Jamie Rivers, was on Sirius XM College Football Channel. And he was talking about a very special individual in my life right now, Connor Bazelik, the new starting quarterback for my Missouri Tigers. And he had some high praise for my starting quarterback. Let's take a listen. Mm. Oh, no, sorry. Like I say, he's the best quarterback right now. Put the him most on. gifted quarterback in the SEC is Connor Bazelik. Watch the film. I told you last week, watching him versus Tennessee, this kid's going to be damn good. And I know LSU's defense this year is not great, but that dude balled out. Third, second game, and then he didn't even start week two. So really his first start against the defending champs, and that kid went 29 of 34, 406 and four touchdowns, and he made it look easy. 
the most talented, most gifted quarterback in the SEC is Connor Basil, like that according to former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray. Better to forget it, guys. Connor Bazelik will be remembered more fondly by Mizzou fans than Blaine Gabbert when his career is over. Oh, boy. Ferrario? I'll bet it. I mean, who do you think of when Mizzou quarterbacks come to mind? Chase Daniels is the first one, Chase right? Chase Daniel, Daniel. Daniels. It is there not, goes the not no, Daniels. There's only one of him. There's one. Daniels. Chase Daniels. Chase Daniels' Joe career. That's what I was Daniels. saying. You didn't let me finish. Oh, okay. Are you going to the mall later? Chase Daniels' career will be remembered more. Gabbert's right there. Brad Throw Smith Drew is Locke. two. Drew Locke Drew probably Locke. three. Blaine Gabbert four and then, for me. Um, and and I, I think Connor Basilek has the potential. To, let me ask you this. Bet it or forget it. It's not too soon to drop that question. Oh, it's definitely too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look, his career's with Eli Drinkwitz now, right? Like, you got right. four years. He's a freshman as well who gets the extra yeah. year of eligibility because this year none of it's it counts. True. He's a redshirt freshman this year, and he's going to be a redshirt yeah. freshman next year. I'll bet that. So he has four more years after this year to potentially start at the University of Missouri. I think he's He's going to go down as one of the four best quarterbacks for Mizzou when his career is done over the last 20 years. How about that? The best is yet to come. It certainly is. Coming up next, Joey Vitale, our Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, is going to join us. What does he make of this Blues roster without Alex Petrangelo? And can Colton Pareko become that true number one defenseman? We'll ask Joey Vitale when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers. He's a former St. Louis Blues superstar defenseman. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by another superstar. He is Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey, how you doing, man? Hey, BK. What's going on, guy? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Other than the fact, can can we talk about one thing? Uh oh. Can we can we can we eliminate this from society? I know it's old school, and you mostly see old people do it. But the handkerchief thing, okay, uh, there's plenty of Kleenex to go around. I saw this old guy. This old guy was walking down the street. He yanks out this white-looking uh, cloth. I guess you call it a handkerchief. He just goes, honk, 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 and he, like, wipes his nose and just sticks it back in his pocket. Who does that? Well, especially <laughs> during COVID times. Like, I feel like if you want to do that, it, whatever, whatever floats your boat, right? But, I mean, it's 2020. We got a pandemic going on right about now. I feel like we can go ahead and use the Kleenex, throw it away, and move on to the next one. Wash your hands, of course. I, I, yeah, I'm all about, like, you know, improving the footprint, of the carbon footprint of this world. But, I mean, aside from the virus and the germs, it's just plain on disgusting. I'm just like, man, your poor wife. Your poor wife probably going through your laundry. And, you know, if your wife does your laundry, which mine does, I'm, I'm very fortunate. She, she doesn't want to pull this thing out of your pocket. Come on, people. Can we get with it? Joe, you want to get grossed out even more? Let's do it. My grandma used to do that, but she used to, like, have her grandkids use the tissue after she used it that was in her pocket for days. Well, yeah. Dude, I, I've, I've done the same thing for my, my grandpa. God rest his soul. He used to do the same thing. He'd wipe our mouths with it. It was just like yeah. this. This community napkin where we'll just wipe each other's faces with it. It's, it's gross. Can we stop doing that? Well, you see the old time movies where it's like they offer you a handkerchief, right? To be able to wipe your <laughs> eyes or whatever. As somebody's crying or to blow your nose. Like, no, you can't offer me your handkerchief. <laughs> I want to go get a Kleenex. You guys don't remember, but back in the old days when we didn't have all this oh, tissue at our disposal. Okay. Is this when MASH was on television? 
<laughs> Jamie was watching MASH, and then he evolved into Cheers, and then Friends, which he thinks is a good TV show as well. When I had to crank start the car in the winter, drive through the snow. <laughs> you had the old model, picking up your first hot date in a Model T, 1919 Ford. Oh, yeah, the old steering day, wheel. <laughs> good stuff boys good stuff all right joe we have eliminated the world's problems now we can talk about the blues and we were talking earlier today with pete DeBoer, the vegas golden knights head coach and he was talking about how difficult it is to win in the national hockey league without a legitimate number one defenseman i wanted to ask you about colton pareko do, do you think he can become that do you think he can develop into a real number one defenseman in the nhl I do. I think for Colton, um, the tools are there. I mean, we don't even need to mention does he have the tools. I mean, he's got plenty of tools. His ability to skate, his ability to shoot. Uh, can he get a little bit more offensive-minded? Probably. But aside from that, I mean, he's got all the all the pieces. You know, when we were talking, I was talking to Kyle Clifford last week about this, and I asked him, you know, who's one player? God, I'm really gl- you're really glad he's on your team now versus the other. Tory Crew went with Ryan O'Reilly, which is understandable. They had great battles. But for Kyle Clifford, he said, you know, I'm so glad to be on Colton Pareko's team. He doesn't he doesn't really get in your face. He doesn't disturb you too much as far as that kind of stuff goes, but he's just impossible to play against. You know, his reach. He's got he's got the physics of a number one defenseman. Now, where can he improve? I, I think for Colton, with the tools being there, it's his mind. I think the confidence level can get higher for this kid. And I think that with Petrangelo being gone, think that Craig Berube and staff is going to manipulate this the best way they can and make the communication and the delivery as precise and as encouraging for Colton as they can. But that conversation is going to be this. Hey, Petrangelo is gone. You're our number one guy. You're our friend without getting too much pressure on him, but you're going to be our franchise player here. We got Tori Krug and you, you're going to be our top two guys here, you know? And, and then from there, will that extra ice time, will the confidence come for Colton Pareko? Because like I mentioned, guys, the only thing that he lacks right now is probably a little bit of confidence. He was always kind of uh, able to push, but no. He got it. Now he's going to be the guy. So will he take that on? Will he take ownership of that role with confidence, with swagger, and go out and own it? Because he is certainly capable of doing that. Yeah, Joey, I said earlier that, you know, in a defenseman's career, Colton Pareko is at the point now where, let's be honest, Alex Petrangelo's moved on. But now the ice time's going to go with Colton Pareko, and Craig Bruby's going to have to just keep playing him, play him out the door all the time, out the door all the time. And now it's up to Colton Pareko to dive into the video, dive into the extra skill session, dive into the extra hard work, and become that next-level defenseman. So Colton Pareko has a certain responsibility moving forward as well. But I do think that knowing you're going out the door every single time, that will build confidence in this young man in order to maybe take those steps uh, ahead offensively. It's, it's a good point, uh, Rez, because I look at that the same way with the, how they developed Robert Thomas. So you remember Robert Thomas in his rookie season, because of his age, he wasn't able to go back to um, – he couldn't go to the minors. He could go back to junior, but they just he won, another, he won a Memorial Cup and they, they didn't think he was going to progress down there. So the decision they had to make with Robert Thomas was he has to stay here. We have to keep him here for a first-rounder because uh, Robert Thomas struggled. Remember that? He struggled for the first month and a half, maybe two months, where uh, any other player that we, they looked at for how Robert Thomas was playing, he needed to be down in the minors or back at juniors. But they had to make it work be, because of that situation where he wasn't able to go to the American Hockey League. So what did they do? They kept playing him. 
They kept putting him on the third line. They kept putting him over the boards. He had a terrible game. I think he only got healthy scratch one time, I believe, in Toronto. But aside from that, you keep going with him. You're letting him know that, buddy, we have to make this work. You have to be our guy. And look what happened. Right around January, February-ish, he gets partnered up there with Pat Maroon uh, on that incredible line with Tyler Bozak. We all know what happened there in the playoffs, especially in that Dallas series. They, they were our best line in the first two rounds, I think. You know, between Winnipeg and Dallas, th- that line with Robert Thomas on it was our best line. And we wouldn't have probably made it on to San Jose without that line. And that has come from a kid who had a rough time figuring it out at the beginning. I think Colton Pareko, I know he's not a rookie, but in some ways, like you, like you just mentioned, Ribs, you got to do that. You got to say, man. Yeah, tough shift, tough game. Hell with it, man. Get back out there, and you're going to do it again. You are our guy. I was playing with Mike Smith in Arizona. He was struggling. He was ups and downs, ups and downs. He had the yips. And I remember one game he got shelled, pulled in the first period. We had a back-to-back. We go to Chicago, and Dave Tippett uh, came into the morning skate and said, you ready to go tonight, Smitty? And Smitty kind of looked surprised. And and Dave Tippett talked about this situation later, and Smitty went out and, and shut, shut the door on Chicago. But he he, he made a comment in the paper I don't care what Smitty does or doesn't do. I need to keep reinforcing him that he is our guy, and that will give him confidence in, in himself. Colton has got to get out on the offense. He's got to get in the offensive zone. He's got to get up in the rush and get caught, and the other team's got to score. He's got to make mistakes, but you've got to give him a loose enough leash where he's going to make those mistakes, and you're still going over the boards because you are our guy. And once he knows that, I think that's where the confidence will essentially come from. Blues analyst Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Joey, where is this Blues team right now, in your opinion? Like, when you look at them compared to the rest of the Western Conference, when you look at them compared to what they were a year ago, how good is this team right now? What are our expectations for the Blues as we kind of uh, put an end to this first wave of NHL free agency? Hey guys, I don't know. I mean, I know you lose Petrangelo, and he's an incredible player. I'm going to miss him, but... Uh, to me, I think I think in a lot of ways, more ways than none, we're better off today than we were last week. And I mean that because you fall off a little bit defensively with Tory Krug, maybe a little bit, but Tory Krug is going to bring things to this team that, that Petrangelo could not. Uh, one being the power play. I was talking to David Prawn uh, this morning. DP's excited being on the right side for a one-timer position. Get this, guys. I mean, it's something I didn't think about. But with, but with Krug being a lefty, him and DP can play catch on the PP. Both are going to be one-time threats. That's something that PP has not had with, with Petro being a righty uh, and then kind of playing to the weak side of, of Laddie on one side and Perry on the other because Laddie likes playing from his offside. So, I mean, right away, Cruz going to have a huge impact. He, his vision, the way he looks players off, I mean, Riv, you, you know this better than anyone, you know, players are smart. They read eyes. Tori will look left and he'll go to Marchant. He'll look at Bergeron, he'll go to Krejci. I mean, he's going to do the same thing now, but it's going to be with Perron and O'Reilly. So he's going to have a lot of offensive uptick. You know, I love Kyle Clifford. We'll see what happens to Alexander Steen. Uh, is he on long-term IR? Can he not come back? We'll see. You know what? For a lot of hockey reasons, I think Kyle Clifford in that fourth-line role is going to help this team. You put him next to Barbashev and Sunquist. you got to talk about a feisty physical line that's going to play with bite, play with jam. Kyle Clifford's going to he's going to create space for everyone on that bench. Uh, the way that Pat Maroon did, the Blues lacked last year. You know, teams were kind of bullying the Blues at times because you knew you only had Robert Portuzo to deal with, and Robert was healthy scratch or hurt at times throughout the year. Kyle's got that bite, so I like us. I like us in, in that regard as well. I like us from a leadership standpoint. I mean, uh, Petro's never told me this, but being around that room, you know, 
did Petro feel a little bit like this is Ryan O'Reilly's team? I, I think he did. I think Petro, for a long time, with the drama of Armstrong and the negotiation, I think he kind of felt like this could be my last year. I could be on my way out. You can't tell me the players don't pick up on that. Jamie, you know, being in those rooms, you feel when your leader is going to be a UFA or on the trade block and, and he starts to kind of go a certain way mentally and then you start going away a certain way mentally – and at the end of the day, so much has always been talked about Ryan O'Reilly's leadership, his ability to go on the ice an hour before, stay 45 minutes after with the young guys. I mean, to some degree, Petro's probably looking at it as a captain. It's like, you know what, he's a leader. He, he, he deserves to be a C on some team in the National Hockey League. So he probably felt that pressure. So I think from a leadership standpoint, I think that the Blues can comfortably move on knowing that now Ryan O'Reilly will be the captain. Uh, although, you know, Alex gave us an incredible year. I'm not taking anything away from him. But I think from a leadership standpoint, I think we're going to be a little bit more balanced now. And, and again, I will say it again. I don't know how we're going to start this season, but I do feel like we are a better team now than we were a week and a half ago. He's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Always appreciate the time joining us here on Ribs and BK. Joey, thanks so much, man. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. We look forward to talking with you again next week. Always a pleasure, guys. You guys have a great week. Enjoy this fall weather. We'll chat next week. You got it. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. As we were talking with him and you he, he saying how he, he likes the complexion of this roster, Jamie, I was kind of jotting down like some quick thoughts on what the lines could look like for next year. I, I think it's pretty clear we know the top line. I think they've kind of broadcasted this at this point. It's going to be Shin, Thomas, and Schwartz in some order there on that top line. You would expect that the Ryan O'Reilly line is going to be Perron and Sanford again. What do you do from there, though? What what does that third line look like? Because I think that's where the questions really begin. Like, does Cairo start on that line, and who who do you think centers the third line this year? Because they they kind of moved things around with Bozak at times at the end of last year. I think uh, I think you have Oscar Sundquist that'll center that third line. I think you'll have Bozak on right wing, and probably Sammy Blay on left wing. Jordan Cairo. This is going to be interesting to see how they shuffle the deck on this one. And if they choose to have him in a more prominent role, let's say playing with Braden Shen or Jaden Schwartz, then he'll get some leash there, hopefully a little more than he's ever gotten before to see if he can push the limits offensively. If not, Robert Thomas will take that spot. And then if you have to really kind of move the pieces around to accommodate everyone, you could drop Sunquist back down to the fourth line with Barbashev and Clifford, and then you could have uh, Tyler Bozak centering a line with Kairou and Sammy Blay. It does give you options. My concern ultimately lies in the top six forwards. Can you get the consistency out of Zach Sanford night in and night out for an entire season to play with guys like O'Reilly and Perron? And then can you get somebody to fill that void of Vladimir Tarasenko? And I know the automatic response is, well, they did it last year. You're right. You did it for one kind of sort of season, right? But we certainly missed that offensive punch in the playoffs in the top six. We sure did. So if you don't have that, if somebody doesn't step up, what do you do then? So I think it's going to get interesting, though. Yeah, there's two people for me that have big seasons coming up when it comes to it, and it's because that top six. It's Samford in terms of emerging into what they hoped he was going to be. And then the other is Sammy Blay. you got to stay healthy if you're Sammy Blay if you want to be effective. And I think if he would have been healthy last year, he would have been an effective piece for your top nine. It makes sense to use a Tyler Bozak with a Blay and Kairou, but that's a lot of youth on that line. And I think you do want some veteran leadership. So I like the idea of putting Sunquist there. And then look, at the end of the day, Kairou is going to have to prove that he can be more than a fourth liner on the fourth line, because if he can't, Clem Costin's going to have that opportunity to prove that, and I think that's going to be a competition in camp. I would just like a little more speed on that third line. 
Like I, I know Belay is skilled for sure, but uh, with Sonny and Bozak as the other two on that, you don't line, have it. Unfortunately, yeah, BK, no you don't have it in your team. lineup. Kairu. Yeah, but he's not a third line player. Like Robert Thomas, you got away with that the first year because Pat Maroon was big and heavy, and Bozak was so reliable, and it let Robert Thomas kind of figure the NHL out. That's mm-hmm. kind of what you could have, though, right? With with Bozak centering once again, and then having Blay on the other side along. What with you Kyrou. could do is, and tell me what you think, Rivers, is put Kairou on that wing with Bozak, and then maybe put a Kyle Clifford or an Oscar Sundquist there. You're not really getting faster, though. If that's BK's point is looking to get faster, you're not getting faster. Well, but you're doing what you did the year with Maroon. And I'm not saying they're the same players, but you're putting a big body defensive liability with Bozak and then speed with a Cairo. Yeah, um, I think they've got work to do. Yeah, yeah. I think that the identity of the third line is going to be something they have to figure out. I think the identity of the fourth line is easy. Especially if you go Sunquist, Barbashev, and Clifford. Yeah, that that makes That's all the sense no-brainer. in the world. Absolutely, That's a no-brainer. So your third line with Bozak at center because he'd have to be, or maybe you rotate him and Sunquist from the third and fourth line. You're not blessed with a ton of speed in your bottom six. And Kairu's the guy. Kairu's like, the guy. There's just, there's a I just lot worry of that he has a hard him. time playing that style of game. He is. He's more like Robert Thomas. If you watch him play, he's able to play the cycle game, the, you know, the puck possession game. Cairo is more explosive. Cairo is more of an off the rush type player. And that really what that tells me is he's got to be with guys who can hit him in motion and the guys who can skate with him at the same time. And if you look at that bottom six, not a lot of guys who can skate with him. What do you give Cairo a shot up there with Perron and O'Reilly? Oh, that's what I was just saying. Uh, Perron hates line. playing the left side for starters, and him and O'Reilly have been incredible together. So I'm not going to mess that up. Uh, if I'm going to give him an opportunity, I would probably go with Shannon Schwartz, and because those guys are workhorses and, and they're buzzsaws. Thomas on the third line. But you could no, you could put Thomas. Now you can move Thomas to the left wing with O'Reilly and Perron. He's not, he's not bad on the left side. Yeah, but I would hate to do that to Thomas because I know they want him to be that number one center he should be a center yeah so ultimately then you could take thomas put him at center drop shen down to a line with perron and o'reilly maybe that's what you do uh, you, you at least look into it right yeah, there's there's a lot of different possibilities and it all kind of falls on what is jordan kyra like he, he's the linchpin for all of these things can this is he his be... maker to break it boys this is his Ty Ratty moment. And you guys you know you remember, you may not. You I was do. here, yeah. Ty Ratty was this offensive juggernaut coming out of junior hockey, never found the NHL game. And Jordan Cairo, this is his year to not be a Ty Ratty. He's got to show some improvement and take steps forward so that he can continue to develop. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. think if your favorite athlete came out tomorrow and said you know what i had an extramarital affair had an extramarital affair tiger tiger is certainly one (laughs) been there (laughs) it's a question that is being uh being asked right now in japan after i'm gonna mispronounce his name so if you are a swimming expert i apologize if you're a swimming expert do with his name but go ahead i like where we're headed daya sido sido is a four-time world champion he has been suspended for the rest of the year for breaching japan's swimming federation sportsmanlike conduct standards because he had a scandal with an extramarital affair huh you heard that correct this gentleman daya sido has been suspended for the remainder of the season, the remainder of the swimming season out in Japan, 
because of his affair. Imagine if we had Jamie in the NHL or in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball here. Hey, if you have an or affair, Hollywood. yeah, anywhere, anywhere. If you have an affair, you have a a three month suspension. Which, we wouldn't have a whole lot of games that are being played in certain sports. <laughs> there would be a lot of call-ups. <laughs> yeah. There'd be a lot of call-ups. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Obviously, I didn't know we don't this have was a all, rule. Well, obviously, we don't have all the information, but I'd love to dive into it and find out, okay, like, is this part of the contract? Is this part of the league-wide thing? Apparently, the, it's part of the league rules. Like, by the if way. you have an affair that is... But what if they got a deal? Him and the wife, they got a deal. <laughs> What, like a contract? Yeah. Like, you you do your thing, I do mine. It's their cheat day, right? Deal. Well, he's very remorseful, so I'm assuming this, I'm assuming this was, not it was on the list. It's hall pass. Yeah, it's the hall pass list. By the way, props <laughs> to the diving in. That was good. Come on, right? Got to give it that to him okay. there. He said, how can I apologize? I've been asking myself if I can, but I think my apology is to continue swimming, restoring the trust of my family who have been deeply hurt by my irresponsible behavior. Sorry, it's a good start. So I've got a feeling, Sounds like someone's drowning. What do you have for us in the drunk drug? It's true. (laughs) All right. Speaking of uh, a hot situation here, uh, there was... Well, typically not. It's cold. Well, it's kind of hot. Well, unless it's a hot tub. Go Maybe ahead. it's cold Go in your room, Go ahead. I apologize. I shouldn't have Sorry even said that. Thank you. All right. Speaking of something hot, uh, in a local New York hockey rink on Wednesday, oh, oh, yes. there was a Zamboni that got engulfed in flames. Okay. And the video has been all over social media of this thing out there on the ice. The best part, guys is the dude is still driving it doing the ice. Like, does it get any more hockey than that? Uh, the Zamboni driver is literally engulfed in flames, and he's staring out like Ace Ventura through the flames so he can do the ice. Did he run over somebody? Because there was a lot of red underneath the Zamboni while he was driving it. Yeah, I don't think he ran over somebody. No deaths have been reported at the scene. What I think it was was there was a, they said it's a fluid that was leaking, and obviously it was very flammable. Um, and at the time he people were yelling how is he still on there (laughs) Uh, fortunately officials say they were able to put the fire out shortly after that and that nobody was injured but yeah you got to tip the cap to a hockey guy here zamboni guy who is not stopping to clean the ice well there's a massive fire around get the ice cleaned and then you park the zamboni and deal with the fire that's something i would do because i wouldn't know how to deal with the fire (laughs) (laughs) there's clearly something wrong here i am not fixing it i'm finishing my job and then yep. this is all yours. And then run away from it. The scary part, guys, is that Zambonis, a lot of them, especially the Olympia machine, not the Zamboni itself, they're propane tanks. Mm-hmm. They're propane tanks that you hook up. So if there's a fire going on, like that could have got really, really ugly. Uh, just glad it didn't. But yeah, guys, hockey guy like of the me, day. I wouldn't have known that. I'm sure he didn't know that. Like, oh, we'll just Man, live I, with it. I don't. They don't say how old he was, but... Uh, Tip of the hat to my boy. Battle through it. I can <laughs> confirm he was 28 years old. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. There are a lot of fantasy football questions for everybody this week, including for, I think, the 17th straight week at risk of not being able to play this weekend. So what the hell are you supposed to do with your Falcons in your lineup right now? We'll ask our guy Ben Heisler, fantasy football analyst for Sports Illustrated, when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
Coopers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Ben Heisler is a fantasy football and sports betting analyst for Sports Illustrated, and he is an out on an absolute heater when it comes to Chiefs picks against the spread this year. I am less so. On <laughs> Maybe you should start listening to him. Hi, how you doing today, man? <laughs> Hi, sir. You there, either. my friend? <laughs> I, I am here. I, uh, for whatever reason, I think it was uh, going away in the AirPods. They may not have been charged at the proper point. So here I am. And yes, yeah, I, I think I have found. You know, they always say that when you're when you're in the, the sports betting business that you need to find your niche, you need to find your lane. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs bets. Yeah, there we go. I think with three and zero in the last three games. So I've found my little market. I suppose I've done all right. So it's not until Monday night. But what do you have for us on the Chiefs' bills? Are the Chiefs going to win this? one and the line looks like right now it's sitting at about three and a half where I'm looking at it are the Chiefs going to cover that three and a half point spread against the Bills yeah I think they will I I think right now this is an ideal time to bounce back on Kansas City Uh, I was was almost floored hearing their responses to that loss to the Raiders at home you would think that this is a team coming off of a Super Bowl that understands sort of the there's going to be a grind of a 16 game NFL season in a wacky, bizarre year. I kind of thought they'd come across as saying, yeah, we definitely didn't play our best game. We know we're going to be able to be able to bounce back. They were mad like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and and some of the key playmakers on their team issued statements after the game on social media saying that their play was unacceptable uh, in a divisional game against the Raiders and the Raiders hadn't won a game at Arrowhead in about eight years. So I was floored by that type of intensity coming off of this game. Now I know that the bills are are coming off of a rough loss on the road to Tennessee. They get to come home, but it's not as if they're going to be playing with the bills mafia behind them. Uh, I think it'll be a close game. I think you'll see some points. I think the chiefs defense will continue to have their struggles, but I do believe that they have the ability certainly against Buffalo, especially if Tredavious white is out uh, to be able to go ahead and cover that three and a half. So I will take Kansas city, uh, minus the points, even on the road, uh, going ahead in that sort of early Monday afternoon game. All right, Heiss. Uh, the Tennessee Titans have been really good this year, and the Houston Texans have been not so good. A big win coming up last week. Right now, the Titans are only a three-point favorite in this game coming up. Is that a game that we even touch, or do we stay away from that? Uh, it's crazy to, to think about this from, from that standpoint, Rivers. We've actually seen the line move two points in favor uh, of the Texans uh, as, as much as two and a half points in favor of the Texans. There's some, uh, there's some uh, odd books that have this listed as a three point game right now, which basically would indicate that if you're giving the three points to the home team, um, then it would almost be a pick them. And that's really surprising to me. I, I know that Houston finally got a win. They got off the schneid. Uh, moving on from uh, Bill uh, Bill O'Brien to Romeo Cornell. But, um, you know, I, I kind of look at the Titans in a sense of uh, they found something to play last week uh, against Buffalo. They play that everybody is against this card, which feels a little bit strange considering that they broke COVID protocol. <laughs> um, I, I just don't know what they're going to use as sort of their motivation this week. Yes, it's a divisional game. Um, but it's not as if everybody was really rooting against them. And, and coming into uh, you know Monday's game, the Titans were actually they didn't have a win against the spread this year. 
So Buffalo at that point, I believe, was undefeated. So it's it's just a weird dynamic. This feels like a stay-away game for me. I know that there's been sharp movement in favor of Houston, but I, I look at the Texans, and I think there's a lot of flaws even with Deshaun Watson. So uh, if it gets back to you know maybe four or so, if we start to see the public move this line back in favor of Houston, then I'll probably consider making a wager. But at this point, three, three and a half, doesn't feel like a good place to be in a divisional game. Fantasy football and sports betting analyst for Sports Illustrated, Ben Heisler, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Heis, I feel like this is just one of the questions that I have to ask you every week at this point. How much concern is there about this Falcons-Vikings game not being played? I know earlier today it sounded a little bit more concerning with there being four potential positive tests. Now it sounds like there's just one. Uh, where are we at on this Falcons versus Vikings game right now? Your your knowledge, BK, is probably as good as mine at this point. It, it sounds like it's going to be a go. Um, you, you haven't seen sort of overlaying concerns uh, over a few days or so. Now, that could obviously change, but uh, it sounds like all systems are going to be go for this game. And, and if that's the case, you're talking about uh, a very potent fantasy matchup, certainly on both sides of the ball. Uh, I, I would never really advise anybody to go ahead and play Kirk Cousins, regardless of whether it's against the Falcons or not. And certainly we would have some general idea that the Falcons defense is going to play better after the coaching change, after the team really lost a lot of confidence uh, under Dan Quinn. Uh, But also Minnesota has actually been really, really good at outside division games at home. I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think there's something along the lines of 30 games over 500 against the spread um, under Mike Zimmer when they've played at home against a team outside of their division. So uh, it's been a working formula for them so far. Uh, The last time I checked this game, let's see, I I think the line has come in at um, Vikings minus four and a half. Uh, and, and Minnesota hung in with Seattle. They just found a, a way to lose it late with Mike Zimmer making a, a bonehead call and the right not call. being able to go ahead. Right. <laughs> and, and so, I, <laughs> and so I, I, I do look at this matchup and say it would make sense to go ahead and jump on board for the Vikings. We've already seen this line move from three and a half up to minus four and a half. Uh, But again, it just feels like a weird spot to be in considering that the Falcons have some new motivation. Um, And and this Vikings team isn't the same tough defensive-minded squad that we're used to seeing out of Mike Zimmer. All right, Heiss. As we talked about last week, we've got the uh, ESPN 101 Pick'em Challenge here on our website. And uh, last week, Benny, I had a bit of a hiccup. Uh, (laughs) I... uh, I forgot to save my picks, so I basically went over for the week, which is not good when you're trying to actually win. Um, he got so, shot with an airsoft gun. Yes, ice. and I, I should have. It should have maybe even been a 22 for the punishment on that one. But I got to redeem myself nonetheless this week. And the one game that I got to pick your brain on that really has just caused me fits is the Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a straight pick 'em game what are you thinking for that one so just to go back really quickly on last week i feel like we talked about this last week and i was it was it houston and jacksonville that you were trying to figure yes, out i've because always I got, think one. We got that one right yeah we did except i didn't save the pick so yeah that's <laughs> good on All me right, right so, Penny, so the moment, so the moment this phone call is over go ahead and save this one i i have a hard time i, I know cleveland has looked really impressive and I, I know that it's been fun to watch considering their running game has been really strong, that they've opened up play action. Odell Beckham has looked really good. Austin Hooper's got a couple touchdowns the last few weeks. Jarvis Landry is looking like a really bona fide middle of the field slot wide receiver. And Baker Mayfield has looked really good too. 
Pittsburgh has some issues on the defensive side of the ball. Like this is a team that I thought would look much more stingy, especially against the pass. It just hasn't happened so far this year, but uh, Cleveland has had all sorts of misery, especially when they go and travel to Pittsburgh. Um, I, I know that a lot of folks are sort of hyping this up as the, the Miles Garrett uh, revenge game. Remember what happened between uh, him and Mason Rudolph. But right now we've, we've already seen this line move uh, from Cleveland plus five and a half all the way down to uh, plus three and a half. I, I just like the Steelers, especially if it's a straight up game. Maybe Cleveland ends up covering the spread, but uh, Pittsburgh at home, they've looked very good. Ben Roethlisberger has been remarkably efficient uh, and Cleveland has some issues in their secondary as well. I'm just not sure how they're going to be able to guard Chase Claypool, uh, Deontay Johnson, especially if he's able to go. Juju Smith-Schuster's gotten off to a bit of a slow start. Uh, And James Conner, even though the numbers may not look great, is still very active uh, in the running game and also as a pass-catching running back. I I just think Ben Roethlisberger, normally we're used to seeing him turn over the ball and take some chances, but he's kind of let that down a little bit. He's managing the game really well, but he's also found some terrific options. And I think Pittsburgh ends up winning this game outright. All right. I agree with you. And save. <laughs> Perfect. There we go. Yes. Okay, BK. What do you got? Success. All right. Final question for you, Heist. Le'Veon Bell. He is out on the open market. There are rumors that it could be the Bills, the Dolphins, or the Chiefs. Maybe the Patriots are trying to get in on the mix here at the end. What is the best possible landing spot if I'm a fantasy football owner and I have Le'Veon Bell on my team? Where am I rooting for him to end up? I think that's a really interesting question, BK. I would say that the best fantasy landing spot when you consider everything else into the equation is probably Miami. And the reason that I say that is because he would become the lead back. No questions asked. Miles Gaskins had a a nice start to the year, uh, but there's just nobody else that would really be getting in the way as far as carries volume. Uh, You know that Miami still wants people to have some element of a running game uh, and they use pass catching running backs very effectively. So I, I think he'd be a really good fit in Brian, in, in, uh, Brian Flores' offense. However, I don't want to rule out Kansas City just yet. The fact that when the odds came out for this, that Le'Veon Bell to Kansas City was listed at 14-1, to and I was trying to find uh, whatever sports book I could to be able to try and jump in on that because it felt to me that they weren't considering Andy Reid's level of success, uh, particularly with pass-catching running backs. Um, the problem is that you know there's so much early investment in capital in Clyde Edwards-Alaire that if Le'Veon Bell comes in, it's not to say that, that you know, it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire becomes irrelevant. I, I certainly think he's still the lead back, but uh, you know, part of what's made him so special is his ability to catch passes out of the backfield, and I think they would almost use more of him inside between the tackles. You know, Bell just hasn't gotten any sort of burst, but he can still catch a ton of passes, and I feel like that would take away some of his ability. So he would still put up points in the Chiefs offense, but I think if you're looking as a Le'Veon Bell fantasy manager – To me, I I think probably the best landing spot for him would be Miami because you know he would be the guy. He's Ben Heisler. Check out his work on Sports Illustrated where he's a fantasy football and sports betting analyst. Also, give him a follow on Twitter at Benny Heis, B-E-N-N-Y-H-E-I-S. Ben, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much, and I'll be sure to bet on the Chiefs on Monday night this week. I'm going to go with your picks this time around. And listen, listen, if the Chiefs do not cover or if they lose, at some point the hot streak has to come to an end, right? Just not this week, Heis. Thanks. man. <laughs> okay. See you guys. You got it. That's Ben Heisler joining us here on 101 ESPN. It is a absolutely treacherous week of picks. 
Titans minus three against the Texans makes no sense to me. Vegas is telling me I should be taking the Texans in that game. Then you keep going down and there's other ones as well. You mentioned Steelers versus Browns. I got nothing for you on that one. Panthers versus Bears. Oh my. Uh, <laughs> Packers well are just a one point road favorite against the Bucks. We just talked about this. I forgot that they're playing this week and I didn't even have to make up a Vegas line. It's there for me. Green Bay is only a one point favorite in Tampa. Why? Green Bay's better than Tampa. I don't understand. I don't get that one either. And then you look at the Rams, only a three-point favorite against the 49ers. Are we watching the same 49ers team? That makes no sense to me. There are games this week that I am just at a loss for. By the way, the Cardinals are only a one-and-a-half-point favorite against the Cowboys. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. The entire Cowboys O-line is out. Their quarterback is out, and their defense stinks. But they do have the best Kyler quarterback Murray. in the division now. It's... this. <laughs> I'm already bad at picking games. I'm going to be the worst, the worst at picking games this week. It's 117. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Are we sure that the Green Bay Packers are the best team in the NFL? No. Are we sure it's coming up next on 101 ESPN? We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Are we sure? 65780 is the air comfort service sex line for Are We Sure? Let's start with this one. Guys, are we sure that Colton Long's going to be with the Cardinals in 2021? Because earlier today, if you checked out his Instagram page, it certainly had you wondering. So he posted, thank you, hashtag Cardinal Nation. Again, this coming from his Instagram account. Now, some wondered, could this be about his birthday? People wished him a happy birthday. That was like five days ago, though. Is this maybe in reference to the season? Well, maybe, but that was like two weeks ago now. What what could this possibly be for? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Are we sure, Jamie, that Colton Wong's going to be a Cardinal in 2021? I'm not sure. And I think that there's something fishy behind that post. I don't know if it's thank you for the birthday wishes or whatnot, or if it's his swan song, thank you to Cardinal Nation because I won't be back type thing. He left a lot of meat on the bone there, BK. Well played, Colton Wong. They call that a tease in this industry. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, we might move on from Colton Wong. He's sitting in Hawaii right now, sipping on some Mai Tais, just enjoying the fact that we're talking about this. No, we're not sure. He's listening, right? He, Yeah, he always listens sure. to the show. Text me. I'm sure Colton Wong is going to be back. So I am not sure that Colton Wong won't be See, here. See, it's yeah, hard, confusing right? Confusing as hell. I am sure Colton Wong will be back. You cannot lose a guy who definitely upgrade you at second base to I know I almost butchered that word there for a minute definitively (laughs) definitively upgrade you defensively for 12 and a half minutes oh really we're gonna get into this territory now Runge they're making fun of me with no teeth I didn't make fun of your teeth yeah you did no mouth by the way I went to the doctor the other day we're starting the implant process and he asked he's like so do you have any issues teeth (laughs) implants teeth he goes do you have any issues (laughs) I just want to make sure our listeners know what implants are He goes, do you have any issues? And I said, well, I drool a little bit on the left side of my mouth. He goes, oh, that's normal. So I'm just going to drool for the rest of my life, apparently. All right. We'll put a splat mat under you over there. <laughs> is that what they're called? Splat mats? Yeah, you'll find out. You got a kid coming. <laughs> oh, 65780 <laughs> is the air comfort service tax slide for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure 
that the Braves should be the favorite to win this series in the NLCS because I'm looking over at the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook right now. Promo code, Promo code Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. If you're a new user that would like to join, we know that they know that we sent you. And as of today, it is a co-front runner. Both the Braves and the Dodgers are minus 110, which means you have to bet $110 to win $100 for them to win the series. Guys, are we sure that the Braves are actually the favorite to win the series right now? That's incredible because before the CS is played, the Braves were the underdog. They had the lowest odds of winning the World Series, and now it is They're up two to one. Skyrocketed, yeah. Clayton Kershaw tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So this to me is against Bryce William with Wilson with an S. So Wilson's. I like that. No, Bryce with an S. Okay, so are we sure that we like people who give people names or kids names and they spell them totally differently? Incorrectly. I am. uh, Whatever, right? Uniquely, right? Are we sure that that's okay? No, it's not okay. uh, That's a pet peeve. That's a pet peeve. I'm with you. So, all right, back to the task at hand. I've always told Kara that I want my first son to be named DeBrickashaw, so I'm not the first one. DeBrickashaw Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Not the person to ask on this. DeBrickashaw. How am I just not surprised? Like, honestly. DeBrickashaw Ferguson was one of the best names that I've ever heard. It was an offensive tackle for the Jets. DeBrickashaw Kylie? Yeah, that sounds name. confusing. It's either DeBrickashaw gar- or Cash. I gar- Those are the two that I really cash, like. Cash, S with the money sign? No. Oh, come on. A K? Are name you cash? Yes. K? Cash Kylie. No, the, K- the, the K- abbreviation is Yeah, the abbreviation is yeah. KK. That's... Yeah, that's fine. Be careful with the middle name, though. Yeah, you be careful with the middle name. It's going to be Michael. Cash Michael Kylie. Hey, I'm not usually this guy. Okay, but let's get back on task here. Oh, my God. Are we sure that the Braves should be favored to win in this series? No, I'm not sure. I think that tonight's game will be huge. Um, I think if the Dodgers win tonight, they win the series. No, I'm not sure either, because I do think that the the Dodgers are in this right now. They pummeled a young pitcher. And look, the, the, the Braves pitching staff has been phenomenal throughout the postseason, what, which led them to be undefeated up until last night. But now you got Kershaw on the mound and Kershaw guarantee you is a man on a mission for how bad his postseason has been. If this becomes a 2-2 series, I think the Braves backs are against the wall. And look, the bats kind of went silent last night, guys. I mean, they went silent. Marcelo Zuna has two strikeouts in this series right now, which may not seem like a lot, but he was crushing the ball in the regular season. So I'm not sure about this with the Braves. Yeah, the Dodgers should be favored. Like they, they they should be favored in this series at this point. I know they are down two to one and I know Kershaw's history has not exactly been stellar in the postseason, but most of that lack of success is coming against the Cardinals for what it's worth. Yeah, it's actually been okay against just about everybody else that he faces uh, for the most part, unless that other team, team is cheating, as we now know with the Astros. Um, my big fear as a Cardinals fan is if this team does win the World Series this year, it it further reiterates that they are just far and away the best team in baseball right now. Who's that, the Dodgers? Yeah, because they... And that the way they're doing things is the is way working. they're doing. Yeah. It, and so if... If they end up having success this year again, and they've had a lot of success up until the World Series, man, that's going to be a really hard team for the Cardinals to be able to chase. They just they are they have so much more roster talent than anybody else in the league, other than maybe the Yankees right now. It's, it's going to be tough to match that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure that every NFL team is going to finish this season with 16 games played? We saw this in baseball where they trade like hell to get the Cardinals there. Ultimately, it didn't end up mattering. They could have, though. They could have forced them to play those that doubleheader on the Monday. 
Are we sure right now, Jamie, that every team in the league is going to finish with 16 games played in the NFL this season? Um, no, I'm not sure. And I do think that at some point, the NFL and Roger Goodell will shift gears to a winning percentage type thing like Major League Baseball did. I think they have to because, yeah, they got, what, an extra week that they can play with because they're going to drop the Pro Bowl or something like that. Mm-hmm. They don't have much wiggle room after that, though. Well, and you're traveling around so much, too. Like, it's going to cost you so much to try and fix. I mean, this is like the worst math problem ever for the NFL. I mean, you're flipping one team saying, okay, you're going to play Monday night, but no, wait, now we're going to take away Thursday night. And then there's a Tuesday night football game. And how many can we put on Sunday? Yeah, it's just the worst math math problem ever. So you're going to want to get to the finish line quickly, right? Like that's like Major League Baseball now, like that they've gotten to these baseball bubbles, Mm -hmm. we'll call them. They're like game, game 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 like we're like let's get to the finish line because the postseason's the money maker for yep. the nfl you got to get to the super bowl so if we got to walk away from a couple of regular season games so be it <laughs> six five seven eight oh is the air cover service text line i know I what you're like laughing this text about line is going off right now from the six three six guys are we sure that bk should even be allowed to have kids <laughs> you know what i've had this discussion not about you by the way whoa not about you. I've had this discussion with okay. my wife. Every time we see a moment out there, like whether it's on social media, of like bad parenting, not horrific stuff, just like, you know, slipping up. I'm like, you have to have a license to operate yes. a car. You have to have a degree to graduate from college. You have to have training to be an electrician. But you don't have to have anything to be a parent. Well, you have to have a couple things. But <laughs> Two things, really. A couple things, okay. But once that process is finished, there's no certification <laughs> There should needed. be a college course <laughs> on being a parent. you got to get a bachelor's degree of being a parent, right? You pass a, at least a test. Yeah, there should be a, a test. A basic test. Yeah. I'm so unbelievably underqualified. Like, just in every You're possible right, but, way. Okay, that I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing, but I think it's good that you recognize oh that. Oh, my God. Some people don't recognize. They're like, yeah. This is easy. Let's have six of them. Let's have six. More love, the better. I'm broke. I have no discernible skills. No idea. <laughs> I, I am afraid to hold a child that's a newborn. I am too. They're breakable. Well, you better get used to it. No, I will not. They're, hold. Break, they're actually very pliable, so you're lucky with that. I will not hold someone else's baby. I won't do it. No. Because I don't want to be responsible for that. No, sir. That is your problem, yeah. not mine. Once you do that. hold the baby, though, it'll it'll be really easy. Like now, if like relatives come over and they got a baby, I just scoop that thing. I walk around that thing. Oh, good. I'll have you on speed dial then. <laughs> yeah. Five months away, Rivs. You could be on speed dial. Funny story. You know the baby. Baby Bjorn, the hangover. Oh, you know, yeah. like they have the baby and the thing. Yeah, well, baby my, Carlos. My last born, McKinnon, uh, when we had her, I had a baby Bjorn on all the time. She loved to walk around with me, and I would do every chore. I'd go cutting the grass with, like, the baby Bjorn on, <laughs> doing dishes. Uh, you name it. My wife's like, really? She strapped your chest? I'm like, she loves it. Oh, Look yeah. At her. Note to everyone out there, and especially to you right now, you need to keep a, a height chart, Okay. And here's why. Because once she gets to a certain height, and when she's kicking and having fun... It no longer is fun for you. The heels hit you where you don't want to be it's hit. good to know. And then it hurts a lot, and that's when the baby then, Bjorn got retired. Then you switch it to the back, right? I don't like that. Why? I don't you can't know. see them. I feel like you can't scary. see them, you know. You put a, one of those uh, rear view mirrors in front of you. have the whole... Yeah. yeah. That's probably more than I'm willing to do. Katie bought a bit, or put it on the registry the other night, and I said, you definitely need one of those, because I'm the same thought. I don't have to hold the baby. I can put the baby and not have to worry oh, about it. Oh, you can it. work the computer. BK, you can do your awesome yeah. run down. bring the baby in on a show. Do your work for you. Do I continue? Yeah. I don't have baby slowing you down. 
down. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. BK, you're only woefully underqualified to be a parent. That's it. Douche. <laughs> Douche. How do you think John Mosaylock is watching this uh, postseason right now? What is he thinking um, great. as he's watching all of this around baseball? We'll answer that question for you coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So how do you think John Mosaylock is watching this postseason? I'm talking about probably on a recliner. Maybe with probably a more fashion. Touche. So I'm not, cute. I'm not talking <laughs> cute. about how do you think he's sitting in his man cave watching, of course. Like as a team president, a president of baseball operations, how is he consuming what he's watching and how it pertains to his team? This is something the fast lane asked yesterday on their show, and here's what they said about it. Do you think that if, that Mo's watching this or DeWitt is watching the four teams in the postseason and thinking to himself, hey, the Rays are winning on pitching and defense. Now, granted, Randy Rosarina is tearing the cover off the ball, but the Rays aren't. The Rays offensively haven't been necessarily great in the postseason. They've been winning pitching, defense, and they didn't really spend that much. Yes. I, I th- <laughs> no, I think that is exactly what they think. This is our proof that we need that this is a way to win ball games. If they're going to insist on not allocating big dollars to a premier player when it's time, like Francisco Lindor, for example, or when Machado was available or Bryce Harper, then they need to be as good as the Tampa Bay Rays are at identifying talent. And it's not just talent in other organizations. It's talent in your own. So after I read that or after I heard that, Jamie, I went over to The Athletic last night and I was reading Mark Saxon's article that put together basically how can the Cardinals improve this outfield, which is the conversation we've been having for, I think, six months now or six years here on 101 ESPN. Here's what Mark Saxon had to say about how the Cardinals can improve their outfield. Said, quote, it's hard to imagine the Cardinals muscling to uh, the front of the pack when it comes to offering George Springer the richest contract entering a season with Fowler and Matt Carpenter still on the books. The far likelier outcome would be for the Cardinals to make a run at one of the second tier free agent outfielders, such as Jock Peterson. The Cardinals also could make a run at trading for an outfielder with pop. Maybe they could package some young, young pitching for Mets Dominic Smith. This might not be the offseason for the Cardinals to remake their outfield with a franchise altering signing, but it would be an opportunity to try something new. Just waiting and hoping didn't work out well when it came to the outfield in 2019. Again, that coming from Mark Saxon of The Athletic. I wanted to ask you guys this. Do you think it is enough to just change the names? To just change the names in the outfield. Like, if, and the reason why I ask that is because Jock Peterson's a really interesting name to bring up. Because Jock Peterson actually hasn't been all that much different than some of the guys that they have in the outfield. He's a platoon player, he's only going to hit against righties. He also this season was terrible at the plate. In 43 games and 150 plate appearances for the Dodgers, he hit 190 and finished the season with a slugging percentage below 400. Now, that's a lot, little bit out of character for him, so maybe it was just the circumstances, but he's not a fantastic hitter. He's a solid hitter. Is that enough for Cardinals fans? Is that enough to where you'll say to yourself, okay, 
It's new. It's different. It's not Tyler O'Neill. Instead of the name on the back of his jersey saying O'Neill, it's going to say Peterson this time around. Is that enough, do you think, Jamie, for Cardinals fans? No, I don't. And here's where I'm at now. Um, as it goes through my brain, here's where I'm at now. Is the resources that the Cardinals would spend on some of these recycle bin players, as, as we call them, Take those resources and go and expand your scouting. Go and develop better pro scouts. Go develop better amateur scouting. Dive into things deeper. If you're going to take money and spend it, spend it on something that can help you long term. Never mind Jock Peterson at this point, right? Like that's just burning money for no reason to appease maybe some of the yelling from your fans over in this corner over here. Don't even worry about that noise. Block it out. And I talk about blowing it up before, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to blow it up, but what you have to do is you have to dive back into your team and figure out how you can be better and change things internally. One talent evaluation. We've been all over this. Never mind the old washed-up guy, the recycle guy who had a couple of big hits one time. Never mind that guy. Let's go draft some young guys. And then, yeah, you're going to have to sell patience to your fan base. But what better time to do it than right now when cost is such a big thing, when you're you're suffering financially, go dive into some younger players. Yeah, you might take it on the chin for a couple of seasons. But then once these guys develop and you have the next Randy or Rosarina, you're developing him. You're hanging on to him. You're waiting for the proper moment rather than just go spraying cash out there for like Marcelo Zuna. It didn't work here. It worked okay. You know, I, obviously I was, a, I was a fan, but now he's gone. And what do you have to show for it? I'd rather see Mo take that money and absolutely put, put that money internally and develop the scouting staff. Maybe go get better scouts, better coaches, something. I think the future of baseball right now, the next couple of years, is who can draft and develop the best talent because they're going to need to hang on to that money without spending it on big free agents. Yeah, you nailed it on the head, Rivs. Like, you have to go... If you're going to try and be like any of these teams that are in the postseason right now, other than the Houston Astros, because they did tank to get the players that they got... But if you're going to be like the Braves or if you're going to be like the Dodgers or the Rays, you have to learn how to evaluate talent better and bring in players that are going to turn into be effective Major League Baseball players. You can watch the Tampa Bay Rays and say, oh, well, we're like them. We can do that. Look, they're winning off pitching and defense. Well, they're also winning off because they got a guy who's hitting 438 and crushing home runs right now. They evaluated that talent. Speaking of the Tampa Bay Rays, they saw that player and said, this guy is going to be effective in our batting order. And they got him. But you know what? Like the Dodgers. Did They found a Cody Bellinger late in the draft that they knew could turn into somebody. Freddie Freeman turned into somebody. Acuna Jr. was an international signing that they said we can spend money on this guy because he's a superstar. You haven't been able to do that on the pitching or I'm sorry, on the offensive side. You could do it on the pitching side, but you got to go out there and spend money on somebody who can help you evaluate players to help this team. And to your point, Alex, about Randy Rosarina. Maybe you maybe you start changing some of your philosophy and you start to have a whole department that's scouting other teams' young prospects that maybe you identify something like the Tampa Bay Rays did in Randy Rosarina. Randy Rosarina. There you go. Maybe. There we go. Maybe that's what you do is start looking around because you know that people give up on players all the time. And so maybe that's an angle that you look to develop. Yeah. yeah. It's also about risk management. 
And this is something else that the Cardinals, I, I just disagree with their philosophy on it. Like they, they have a philosophy that a lot of people probably do agree with. I personally disagree with it. Their risk philosophy is we would rather sign Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler and Andrew Miller to these four or five year deals and that like 15 to 20 million dollar range, because none of those in and of themselves are going to really make you uh, unable to go out there and sign another player because you have them on the roster. Right. And that's true. Like individually, none of those contracts are hindering the Cardinals in any way, shape or form. The problem is when you have a bunch of them, like Dexter Fowler plus Matt Carpenter is Bryce Harper or Nolan Arenado or Mookie Betts, like whoever your, yeah, whoever your guy is that you think is a stud, like the one of the best players in baseball, those two contracts are the equivalent of having that guy. Now, those contracts are longer. You look at Mookie Betts, 10 years. You look at Bryce Harper, it's 10 years. That's what those guys are getting. And so there's more risk there. But you're also on the front end of that deal. Like Bryce Harper is going to pay off the first six or seven years at a minimum of that 10 year contract. So maybe it hurts for two or three years. You know what else hurts? This Dexter Fowler deal for the last two or three years, the Matt Carpenter deal for two or three years, all of the Andrew Miller deal. And so, no, you're not actually hindering the ability to go out and sign somebody individually. But you when you add them all up, it does change the way that you're going about things. That being said, if you go back to the way that they do things and they disagree with what I just said, well, then there is a guy that's playing right now that makes a lot of sense for them. It's a guy that I mentioned a week or two ago, and it's Michael Brantley the outfielder for the Astros. And I understand if you're hesitant to go to that well, but Michael Brantley this postseason is batting 341 with a 415 on base percentage and a 610 slugging percentage. His OPS in the playoffs is above a thousand for this postseason. He's been really good for them also against the Tampa Bay Rays. He has an OPS in this series of just about a thousand. So there's guys out there and he's 34, 35 years old. He's probably going to accept a one or two year deal. This fits into what the Cardinals would want. Instead of going the Jock Peterson route, I I don't need to hope and pray that the power is enough and he's going to eventually make more contact. If you're going that route, just go Tyler O'Neill and let's see if next year it works. I don't need to sign more money to another guy. Like, I don't. It's a great thing to say when you say it and then roll your eyes while you're saying it. I just I don't need to see that again. Right. It's a different name, but the same idea. Let me see the guy that has the potential and has shown certainty of batting 300 and can hit second for you in this lineup. And I know he's going to improve this roster. He's older. He's he's going he's not going to give you all of the power that you want like Peterson maybe could, but I also know he's going to come in and have certainty of improving your lineup immediately. Yeah, but the, the problem the problem with Brantley is he's on other people's radar, and what the Cardinals do is they find players that aren't on other people's radar. A Jock Peterson, not a lot of people are going to take a chance on because yeah, he's hitting one ninety. Players that aren't on people's radar because they don't need to be there. Exactly. Well, and Brantley's problem is he might stay in Houston because Houston can't afford George Springer. The problem is, and I saw Kamish put this on his chat the other day on the Post-Dispatch, you don't want Tyler O'Neill to be the next Randy Arozarena. You don't want to. You don't want to he, give he's up. He's not. On, he's not. I I believe that a hundred percent. That's the case, then you never move on from anybody. You just hope and pray, right? Yeah, I, I guess but. this goes back to what we heard from Derek Gould in that clip that we played earlier today. If you missed it, one hundred one ESPN.com is where you find the podcast. The Cardinals are chasing themselves. Yep. They're, they're they're chasing themselves again now with Randy Arozarena. The next move that they're going to make is probably a young, hot shot, up and coming prospects that's maybe a little under the radar that has power potential and could be exciting. And maybe it works. Maybe I'd be okay with that, with though. 
I'd be okay. Sure. At least they'd be committing to a plan that is building for years to come, not just a one-off like a Jock Peterson. The problem is now you get into the same cycle of, okay, let's see what this looks like for the next two years. Get some certainty. Eventually get some certainty. And also invest in your young players, Jamie. 100% agree. But go get a guy that's going to immediately improve that lineup as opposed to somebody that you're hoping and praying can improve the lineup. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Kylie crossing things over with the fast lane BT in studio. BT, what's going on, man? Man, not much. Happy to be with you guys today. It's always fun to walk in this room. You guys give the big round of applause, makes people feel good before their show. So we're ready to rock and roll today. BT, I have a bone to pick. Uh-oh. Well, pick that bone. Not it... with you, but for you. Ooh. Oh, oh, please do. Okay. I noticed on my Twitter account that the 101 yeah. ESPN Twitter account, this day in Cardinals history, Smackdown. Yeah. And my buddy, Brad Thompson. Here it is. It's on my computer, too. Poor guy. Old number 48. Looks like you may have pulled a neck muscle watching that ball leave the park that day. Look at everybody's eyes. The umpire, Yachty, (laughs) Carlos Delgado, some fans that paid way too much money for those green seats. Like, everybody is all looking in sadness the same direction. Yachty's eyes are... uh... Well, that's fine. Yachty's yeah. never seen anything go that far. That's a, I can tell you that. Now, Brad, I thought you were doing this for me. You're right. Sorry. Right. Let's get back. I've got a business opportunity for okay. you. Okay. Okay. So the stance that you have, next, next if braces. you haven't seen this, go to the 101 Twitter account. The stance that Brad Thompson has on the mound right there, I think it could be as iconic as the Jordan Jumpman. Okay. Okay. BT is looking straight up. <laughs> Like, like, hey, him him every pitcher does. Ah! Ah! Out! And far! You didn't even bother. You, you didn't get it! You got it! Jimmy! Too high! Too far! Well, you know the, the Kershaw, like the, oh no, that one's gone. He didn't yeah. even go to the full, like, hands-on the knees. The surrender BT Cobra. was like, well, oh, that one's gone. <laughs> yeah. So what 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 should it uh, that should be the new MLB logo is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that or maybe you start your own brand, you know? Like okay, Jordan's wait, hold got on. The- <laughs> Okay. I kind of like what you're thinking you right know, here. T-shirts, hats. Look, if we're going to make fun of me, let's make money while we do it. That's yes. the right thing. Yes. By the way, the the route that I've taken with this uh, my entire time doing the radio, you might not know this. I'm very proud of my career. And I'm very proud of what I was able to do and make it to Major be. League Baseball and, and play as long as I was fortunate enough to play. But I downplayed that a lot uh, because it's like anything else. If I make fun of myself for that, maybe other people won't. Well, nobody else gets the memo because no. everybody else just does it. I, I have it. It was on my desk the other day like it, it was taped up was it is it lethal weapon where they keep taping up the the him in the uh, in his underwear right uh where they keep yes. who keeps doing this give me another one of those like that's that's what i feel like is going on then i see it tweeted then i see it somebody put it uh, somebody is mike Ryder, our uh, executive uh, allegedly producer, if you will. it was mike Ryder, uh and 
it's here on my desktop. Like, there's some things you can't get away from. I make fun of myself so you guys don't have to. But you see, Brad, I've That's come. I've tried to, and that doesn't work at I've all. I've come to, yeah, see, <laughs> to BK's point, I've done the same thing. He already thing. bagged his glasses. I, he did. <laughs> Imagine that, I wear right? them after the show. <laughs> the blue blockers are gone now. The blue rockers. I, I too, very proud of my career. But, yeah, I found out that the more I make fun of myself, it, like, opens the floodgates. I, we got textures. I'm like, ha, <laughs> <laughs> you suck. Yeah, you got traded seven times. What are, what are you doing? I'm like, wait a minute. Like, wait. I'm allowed to do it. You're supposed to say don't feel bad. Yeah, but you no. did something good. Yeah. That's all right. It's part of the job, but I just don't need the reinforcement at work. It is a great picture, though. So, BT, Thank did you, you see that you broke the Chiefs so much that now they're potentially bringing in Le'Veon Bell? No, but I appreciate you that's, shifting the conversation. That's what the Raiders Are they did going to, to do it? Are they bringing in Bell? I know he's picking between there, the Bills, and the Dolphins. Ugh. I think they're going to do it. So, would you worry at all about just fit? Like, Le'Veon Bell hasn't seemed like the, like the, the best teammate. No, no. That's what I said. He's going to come in there, and the Chiefs are just going to boo. Plummet. I don't worry about that with they're Andy. Strong. Like, they're strong. Like they got a strong locker room. Yeah, I don't worry about that with Andy Reid in charge. He'll be their third down running back. They've got Daryl Williams, who's like 5'10", 257 pounds, and runs a five five. So he'll be an improvement over that. Perfect. So that'll that'll be his role. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Black Friday Savings at the Home Depot, you can get top brand laundry sets with the latest tech to tackle any mess you might face this holiday, like automatic fabric and load size detection for spills of any size, from cookies and milk on your favorite holiday sweater, to the toddler of the house discovering just how fun cranberry sauce can be. Make more magic this holiday season. Let your new appliances handle the mess. Shop Black Friday Savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select LG laundry sets at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details.